Hello, just a quick bit before this week's episode to let you know that we have a Patreon you can subscribe to if you like what we're doing here and you want more of it. You probably already knew that. We don't stop going on about it. What you didn't know is that you can currently get a little free trial so you know exactly what you'd get as part of your subscription. You can head to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in the show notes to get your first seven days free. All you need to do is pick which tier you'd like a free trial of. The Biggest Mates tier is the one that has all the extras in it. And then for seven days, you are free to listen to any episode we've released in the last six months. You can cancel any time or just leave the subscription rolling if you like what you find. It's charged monthly. And during any month, as part of that Biggest Mates tier, you'll get ad-free episodes of this show every Monday. You'll get a brand new episode of our new Manic Street Preacher show every month. Two episodes every month of The Ultimate Playlist, our themed playlist show, where we talk about all kinds of different music, different artists, different genres, different eras, and one or two bonus episodes every month, depending on the length of the month. That's two episodes every week. There's also other tiers to trial. One that is just the Manic Show and ad-free What Is Music episodes, and another that is just ad-free What Is Music episodes. But hey, if the first seven days are free, why not try a bit of everything? Plus, all tiers include access to the exclusive subscriber-only Discord where we discuss the shows, the bands we've covered, various music topics, and loads of other stuff, including some games that the friendly community have devised themselves. So head on over to our Patreon page now to claim your free seven-day trial. Go to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in our show notes. See you there. I just made my own garlic bread. Oh, what right? did you do? Put, do you want to know how on. badly it went? Did you crush right? garlic and put it in butter and then put oh, it under the... That would have been far more high-tech. I got bread. I got bread. I put you got bread. I put, start. I put cheese on it. What? I, what cheese? For, okay. Yeah, well, yeah. That's cheesy garlic bread. Yeah, so it's cheesy garlic it. bread. Okay, fine. I got, uh, you know, the tub to the jars are very lazy... Uh, yeah. Garlic, yeah. crushed garlic. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a on a spoon and just sprinkled it on it. That's too strong. So much garlic, yeah. right? Put it under the grill five minutes. Made some garlic bread. Ridiculous to taste. So then I had to scrape off all the garlic, and then the little remnants was actually enough, and it was actually very delicious. But I had a plate of spoonsful of garlic cubes. Bits. I mean, what, bits. what you what you can invest in, honestly, changed my life. Is garlic, don't say garlic press. It's garlic oil. Oh, oh. Huh. because that makes huh. great garlic bread. All you got to do is drizzle it on top of whatever bread you're doing. Stick it in the oh, yeah. the toaster, and then you not the toaster, keep but like the garlic bread. garlic paste keep in talking. scrambled eggs. Keep talking. No, little bit, no, little squeak, no, little tiny. No. Just just eggs listen to me. Listen. Eggs. Eggs. Yeah, don't put garlic with eggs. A Wait, little bit okay. of cream at the end. A little bit. Oh, no, no, no cream. No, no, no. no, no. no you're big, just as much of a twat. Knob. You're just as a much of a twat as him. Uh, a big knob of butter, Adam. You're a big knob of butter. You put that in eggs, salt and pepper. Tiniest squeeze of garlic paste changed my life. Dickhead, you're fucking Dickhead. wrong. I do the Gordon Ramsay eggs, and they are great. Did you know that Gordon Ramsay lays eggs? Yeah. 
eggs. Gordon Lil- Ramsay's massive Yeah, they're, eggs. they're eggs. like ostrich eggs. <laughs> yeah, eggs. To, Little knob of butter. Of the... Chives. Yeah, salt, chives. Pepper. Yeah. Yeah. Scramble yeah. in a wok. Yeah. No! <laughs> Put it on your toast. Bit of, hot, in a saucepan. Bit of hot sauce on, on it. Bit of hot good sauce one. on it. Thank you. Lovely. Very good. No, hot yes, sauce on egg. Okay, so yes, look to forward you. to the uh, bonus episode of us cooking three kinds of scrambled eggs and taste testing yep. them live on yep. the podcast. Mm. And also, hello and welcome to Do You Love Us? A critical analysis of the history, cultural impact and music of Manic Street Preachers. Um, we are going through the band's discography, uh, asking questions such as, does contact God, context matter when you're listening to music does knowing the band's history give you a wider appreciation of their output and more importantly we're asking the question uh, do you love us us referring to manic street preachers and not us the hosts of the podcast do you love us to which you are now listening more specifically today we're asking the question when did you decide that sleep could save your life uh, i'm adam scott glasspool with me is steve murphy great so now we know what their voices sound like uh that's great um bit of an exciting show today i don't feel like we've done a like a proper album uh episode in a little while uh and we're doing it off the back of a uh an interview with the producer of this album um yeah it's fine Great album, 10 out of 10 done. Yeah, Hi, great. Greg. Oh, my God. Yeah, the production on this is incredible, 10 out of 10. Uh, yeah. End of episode. Uh, yeah. We live you in can really like, You can really destroy hear rock and roll. how handsome the yes. producer is. <laughs> you can. Like, you can yes. really hear yeah. how talented and handsome Absolutely. he is. Uh, yeah. Cracking episode, if, if, if you guys do want to go back and listen to it. Not you and Lucas. You, you, you were there. Um, I'm talking to the <laughs> listeners uh, on that one. But we also have someone who's going to be joining this Zoom uh, chat much later on that I haven't told Steve and Lucas about. Uh, that's going to happen towards the end of the episode. Uh, a very special guest worth sticking around for oh, at God. the end. Um, so, at... Where did we leave them off, Lucas? Steve's doing a face. <laughs> um, where did we... Why is it always me? Uh, Lucas, they they released we... a best of. It yeah. wasn't mm-hmm. their best of. No, nice. oh, it was pretty good. Oh, it it wasn't my best of. Important distinction that it wasn't a best of, it was a greatest hits. <sighs> greatest hits. Great. It was all their yeah. big singles. They, they, they then released uh, a B-sides collection that That's was true. too long. That Lucas felt had too many B-sides yep. on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Lucas... They then made, released made... a second disc of a B-side collection of just covers. Yeah. Which were obviously B-sides. Which still. were... I just dropped something there, which were sounded different yeah, to that. Uh, it sounded yeah. like you dropped something. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> which uh, was also fine. Okay. Uh, and yeah, then good, yeah. and they did those because they needed money. Because they had no because they had no money. They were running very low on money, so they released like a best of really easy. Get some songs, great, slap them great, on a disc. Great hits. Yeah. We just said B sides collection. You've already got them in the vault. Slap yep. them on a disc. Covers, you've like you've already done them. Yeah. Slap them on a disc. Easy money. That got them out of the terrible financial woes that they are in because James, <laughs> because of James Dean Bradfield's gambling problems. Okay. <laughs> Is Great. that slander? Okay. Which, bring, which brings um, us to this point when and all the money they'd made was enough to be able to get an excellent couple of producers on an album yep. and be able to record a proper album instead of yeah. B sides and best ofs. Yeah, that's pretty much like most of two thousand and three is is spent uh, recording uh, this album. 
between sort of Stir Studios in Cardiff um, that Greg was talking about last week, Grouse Lodge Studios in Ireland, and Looking Glass Studios in New York City. The Big Apple. New York City. The Windy City, New York. Um, The Big Smoke, New York City. It's actually Philip Glass's studio, um, which is where they they worked with Tony Visconti. Now, had you guys heard of Tony Visconti before last week? Be honest. Pizza Uh, pie. I, I... It was a little. No, I hadn't. Tickle- oh, no, I didn't. Know. It tickled a little something, yeah. but I could never yeah. have gone. I would, if someone said Tony Visconti, I would have gone. As someone in the music industry, he might be like the guitarist of Black Sabbath or something. I thought it was that nice biscuit you can get. They've got in like a, a spread form. No, no, no. That's called a bourbon. That's... Oh no, that's Tony Biscotti. Yeah, sorry. No, got it. It's fine. Well, that's biscoffy. What the biscuit is called? No, bis- it's not. No, it's not. No, the it's biscuit, not. The biscuit is called biscoffy. No, it's not. No, it's not. The, the the spread you're talking about is biscoffy. The biscuit, ah, the biscuit is called biscotti with double T. That is the kind of biscuit, but the the branded thing you are talking about is biscoffy. Nope. And I must Google. I must Google. Bear with us, listeners. Biscoffy. Well, it's Luckily. actually called biscoff. So, oh. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 fuck. <laughs> oh, I hate being wrong. <laughs> well, you're oh, not wrong. God, you're not wrong. He was wronger like than me. the state we did, me and Lucas, and I lost against him all over again. Sorry, was that 11 to 4? Yeah, it was something like that, wasn't it? It was something like that. Yeah. Uh, Visconti... I feel like we should start recording every episode at 11 minutes to 4. Visconti uh, actually ends up only being responsible for the majority of production on, on three of, of the tracks on the album. And what was interesting, I, I didn't know, but I, you know, Greg explained that very well um, last week. Uh, it's an interesting album. The, the frame of mind they had, uh, Nikki describes as, as they're wanting to be elegiac pop, sort of very graceful. Okay. What does that word mean? Look it up. No, I'm, tell I'm me. Not go- I'm not going to be. It's like very graceful and, and, and serene and, and, and slow and clean yeah i think is what they were going yeah. for um he also talked about it being a haunted record with the themes being death and solitude and and ghosts and being haunted it's a lot of references to ghosts and souls <laughs> yes and and I've being haunted that. by history and and your own past um nice. all those classic manix themes he he told zane the Lowe, empire state building he told <laughs> zane Lowe that they had found inner peace on this record um and that it wasn't following a trend, so it probably wouldn't appeal to teenage fans of The Killers, whose debut album came out this same year. This is 2004. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's where Hot kind of fuss. the music scene was at that time. Oh, it's interesting. We're now at a point where I was like old enough to be actively Into aware music, yeah. of yeah. music and actually like new albums coming out. Because what was the last album before this? 2001. Yeah, in 2001, yeah. I was like... I was listening to you're probably guess, aware like Green of, Day and Papa Roach. Yeah, you are aware of music. Like 2001, I think the Gorillas had started in 2001, or there might have been 2000. But I, I, mean, I would be the... aware of the bands that came up around then. Yeah. But I wouldn't have known about like new, new albums yeah. instead of being like, oh, there's a new album by insert a band. Well, I bought I bought Lit's third album as it came out, which was Atomic. Yeah. What's the what, first 2001? album? 2001. What's first album you ever owned? First album I ever owned was either Nimrod or Dookie. Uh, wait, but is that that you bought yourself? Because you must have bought owned yourself. an album before that. I can tell you what my first single that I that 
was bought for me. Yeah. It was, well, it was one of two. It was either Live in La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin. A classic. Which I got for my birthday. Great. Yeah. Or Lou Bega, Mambo number five. So, wow. Also incredible. Great. Incredible. Uh, Adam, you know that if you get, get given something as a gift, it still counts as owning it. But that's what I mean. Like, a lot of people ask the question, like, what's the first album you bought? Because that's a very uh, different question to what's the first album I owned. Because the first album I owned... I will owned... say that the first... Go on. Oh, no, go on, Steve. Well, the first album that I bought myself would be Lit, A Place in the Sun. Mine was mm. Papa Roach, Infest. Yep. Uh, good, the first good, good album. album I bought... Not, not a good album. Uh, ...was probably... Uh, probably Willennium by Will nice. Smith. Actually, I owned Willennium, which means I would, but I didn't buy it myself. I just got given it as a gift. Sure. Well, of course, we're a very influential album. We are, of course, now all living in the Willennium. The Willennium. And yeah, have been yeah, for yeah. 20 years. I remember the first CD I bought from a shop. Yep. Yep. It was, <laughs> okay, cool, yeah. It was, so, so it, Life Plus, um... It was... Uh... I can't remember. I've forgotten <laughs> the name of the band. Great. I can picture the album art. I can't remember the name of the band. Such a good story. Okay, what? Who's Matt Skiba in, Steve? Alkaline Trio. Alkaline Trio. One of their albums. He's now in Blink. He, sort of. No, he is. Shut up. Okay. Where are we up to? <laughs> the first album I specifically remember going into a shop and buying is uh, is probably um, Hot Fuss by The Killers. Well, there you go. Yeah, Let's bring it all back round. Yeah, so that is, uh, I put it on vinyl as well because I'm a real, <laughs> a real dickhead. Um, Very good album. That's when it wasn't cool as well. Oh yeah, yeah. You better believe it. You better believe it. Um, and that was when the killers were cool. Exactly. And we're just before like the new rave uh, era. You know, like the enemy, the enemy, so like the ting-ting. So yeah. into that. That Klaxons was my shit. And stuff. That yeah. was quite a few yeah. years later. That was like a good. Three years Two. after that, that was though. about two thousand and five, two thousand and six. That was two thousand and seven. Oh God, no six. It was it when was we like were first year of college for us. It was it was second year of college. No. I think uh, Lucas, you were just late to the game. I had a my first ever girlfriend when that was all the rage, and I didn't get my first ever girlfriend in two thousand and seven. So fuck off. <laughs> wow, yeah, no, you do win that. No one surprised me. Um, nope. I don't know. Well, yeah, but the, that scene had kind of come out of the New York disco punk scene of like the Rapture and LCD Sound System and yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's very early 2000s. The subway. Maybe so. 2006 as well. But I definitely saw a lot of klaxons in 2006 slash 7. Subway sandwiches. Why is this still happening? Uh, what? What's just New York? After Lipstick Traces, they do go quiet while they're recording and they reemerge for Isle of Wight uh, Festival in 2004, June. And they're subbing the Who. Um, who's at Isle of Wight Festival? Uh, yeah yeah third base yeah, yeah. Third base. <laughs> they play Empty Souls and Solitude Sometimes Is at that gig uh, James Dean Bradfield gets married the next month uh, to, oh, uh, to congratulations to the Mannix publicist um, in, they, they have a small ceremony in Florence and is it to Jane Dean Bradfield yes and that was her name before they even got married yeah. which, yes. which is great um, that's nice Florence lovely great um on October the 18th, they oh, release wait. The Love of Richard Nixon as the first single from Lifeblood. Uh, it reached number two in the charts. Did it really? Yeah, it did. Yeah. It's an odd... Did I mean, it really? You're not going to lie. You're not going to lie. Yeah, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't make but, like, it up. 
Yeah. Um, okay. Interestingly, they don't play live uh, until December 2004, which is after the album is out, which breaks with all of their tradition of having a tour around the time of the album yeah. launch. And I'm wondering if that is, again, another sort of a cautious move after mm. Know Your Enemy, so they can kind of gauge how successful the initial sales of the album are. So, the album, Lifeblood, is released on November the 1st, 2004. It's 12 tracks long. It's about 45 minutes. It's a good length. Yeah. Uh, it charts yep. at number 13. Still good. Still pretty good. It's not, it's not, not, not as good as Know Your Enemy, which I think was like number two. Um, That's because everyone bought it and went, oh my God, and they went, oh no. <laughs> There's a quote inside the cover, which is, conquer yourself rather than the world, which is a quote from Descartes. Uh, which I think it's pronounced some... Descartes. Sorry, by Descartes. Oh, that is his name, Descartes. Yeah. yeah, he's Spanish, so it must be Descartes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. That sort of sums up the vibe of the album for me. Conquer yourself rather than the world. A little bit more of an intimate uh, sort of vibe to this album. Less sort of politics. Less talking about the world and more talking about their inner selves do you know what i mean does that without make giving away opinion yeah it's like lyrically very simple mm. um like when i was looking at the lyrics you'd have like verse one and verse two and a chorus and that'd be four four lines each yeah in a couple of the songs very stripped back um, like lyric from what you we say used it's intimate though like, maybe maybe i'm getting ahead of myself and, and talking about it but it's extremely spacious sounding it is and I'm gonna yeah. use that a lot through this the, the term i've got written down is widescreen yeah. Mm. Lucas laughed at that. Yeah. It's it's nonsense. Steam isn't it? coming out the vent. Stop <laughs> it. What? I the artwork know. is by John Ross and it's called Blood. I really like the artwork. It took a lot. me so long to work out that it, it's a naked lady. Yeah. Whoa, hang on. It's a sexy naked lady. Oh yeah, it's a sexy naked lady. I thought it was just I thought it was just blood. Yeah, it's a sexy lady. I didn't realize it was blood. I'll be honest, I thought it was <laughs> I thought it was like a like a bit of like Luke, ribbon, a bit of material. Lucas, what's the album called? <laughs> Life ribbons. <laughs> Do you think it would have been better if it was called By Flood? <laughs> sure. Like just By Flood. Yeah. Like See that. You later. Bye. Yeah. Great. That would Good. have been nice. So, Steve, are you saying that the artwork of every album has to be literal to the name of the album? Yeah. No, but it definitely gave me a, a kind of um, inkling that it might. The, the red liquid dripping down the white uh, background might have been blood. On the sexy lady. Let's flash back to 2004. Um, what were you guys up to in 2004? Oh man, I was 14 or 15. <laughs> I, was, I was just, you know, hanging out. Just being 15, wasn't I? Lucas, yeah, I know. didn't know you yet. I was doing probably a lot of skateboarding. Really? Oh, what? You're so rad. I was probably. Oh, man. I was probably Popping oh, a lot of kickflips, like oh man, did hell, you do a nolly? I hadn't into disc- the hang side. That is I haven't, fucking I hadn't, tubular. Yeah, I hadn't yet discovered any kind of drugs, so I was still like an innocent <laughs> little skateboarder boy. Wow, wait, you were hanging out, you were hanging out down half pipes, and you hadn't discovered drugs yet. Nope. Wow. Oh, man, did you wear your cap backwards? Uh, no, oh. they weren't cool back then. 
Did you like Blink-182? Mm. Blink-182? Yeah. There was a good stretch of my life where I would describe Blink-182 as my favourite band of all time, and that, will ne- and that will never be topped. Around that time, Lucas, were you wearing big shorts? They were so big. Yeah, Lucas, really long have, shorts. did you have a, a chain attached to your wallet, Lucas? Oh, yeah. The chain went to, like, the, the buckle, like... A little bit round the back of my trousers, so it in could hang more round. I was wearing Bolt London jeans that oh, were like the most oversized. I never jeans got ever. those. I was wearing Offspring t-shirts in XL, and they and would I had a chain. I remember fucking wearing, and I was wearing shag bands around my wrists. Oh yeah, for all that shagging you were doing. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> I remember wearing jeans that were so baggy they would like touch the floor, and so when it rained, yeah, you'd get that like <laughs> yeah. slow creep yeah, yeah, yeah. of moisture up. Up yeah. the, and up then the, the back of your trousers end up having no actual seam because you've like stepped yeah. it all yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no. I couldn't go full Bolt London baggy because I couldn't interfere with my skateboarding. So they had oh, to be like yeah, a man. reasonable right. baggy. Yeah, man. Okay, cool. But there's, you know, sh- shoes that were far too big because oh, yeah. skate shoes were always like, shoes. go for yeah, the yeah. bulkiest shoes you can wear, the most impractically oh, bulky etnies, yeah, yeah. etnies you can find. Yeah. 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 I, I was probably yeah, at this point probably still wearing my Limp Bizkit hoodie. Nice. I remember it well. Yeah. Your significant other hoodie. That was pretty cool. Was it not a uh, uh, chocolate starfish? It wasn't a hot dog. Was it not? No, no you know. That's the only album mate. that I, I ever well. had by them. So uh, I probably thought it was a... Uh, I, I don't know. Lucas, do you... Seeing as you didn't get the context of the Lifeblood uh, front cover, did you know that uh, chocolate starfish means your bumhole? It's rude. Yeah, it's rude. It's not, they're naughty it's, boys. It's a rude album. <laughs> Did you know that take off your pants and jacket, as well as what? taking off your trousers and coat, could yeah. also mean remove your trousers and masturbate? <laughs> it's rude. <laughs> yeah, it's like wanking. <laughs> in fact, in 2004, I saw Blink-182, so that's exactly where I was. What were they doing? Time. Playing a gig. Oh, I, okay. <laughs> I was actually Robert Smith, uh, Robert Smith joined them on stage. It was actually quite good. From the Cure, mm. from yeah, t- he does a song with them. From Cure, wow. yeah, and they played Boys Don't Cry. It at that right. point, at that point, was he still was was he still looking like the ghost of Robert Smith? Yeah, <laughs> which is how he looked still, at, what at Glastonbury he? this year. <laughs> the ghost of Goth yeah. past. <laughs> I like how he says still looks like like he's stopped now and he does no longer look like that. No, he's still melting. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I was actually I was a Manics fan at the time, uh, yes. but but not a big enough fan to really know that a new album was like out or like to go and get it on the day of release. And I had heard uh, the love of Richard Nixon on the radio whilst uh, painting a scout hut, whilst on mm. uh, my work experience with wow. uh with my friend Julian that's how i met him and that and he's sort of like my manix mentor um and we had to paint this Win. big i don't know it's like a community outreach thing and we painted uh, a scout hut but but they hadn't cleaned it ready for painting and there was loads of like cobwebs and stuff all over it and i think enough time has passed now to reveal that i i just painted over the cobwebs oh you <laughs> naughty boy <laughs> wasn't ready for painting on this is my truth I actually bought the album in uh, January 2005 um, whilst I was on a date with someone uh, at Gunwharf Key in Portsmouth. A sexy lady. Uh, we went to see Without yeah. a Paddle at the cinema. Oh, with uh, Seth Green. 
Yeah, and uh, yeah. someone else. Dax Shepard? Is that mm. something? Yeah. Have I ever told you about my most emo scene Southampton date I ever went on? Is, is this it the any one been on the last month? Is I it... got... Hey, very good. I got, uh, <laughs> is it when you went to <laughs> see Corpse Bride? Yeah, man. I got, um, I got a shake away. And then I went and bought a My Chemical Romance CD, and then we saw Corpse Bride. Nice, yeah. And I wore I wore fingerless gloves. Oh, like the like the <laughs> which uh, makes me sound like Fagan. Yeah, or like the bums in New York City. New York City, what? homelessness and poverty. What is this? Uh, so, um, please that was, stop. That was always an interesting part of the early dates: is going to HMV. And buying a CD, I swear it happened. Like loads. to impress the girl. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Oh, and 100%. and my choice was of course Lifeblood, Lifeblood. by Maddox Street yeah. Preachers. Because if you yeah. really want to impress someone, uh, you buy Lifeblood by Maddox Street Preachers. And if you really want to impress them, you do what I did, which is on the train home, not talk to her and listen to the album. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to give her a shout out? No, um, not really. Okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> in headphones, I was just sat next to her on the train with my headphones on because I was a cool and introspective man. This is what I was going to say. I bet you were like, this will make her think yeah, I'm a thinking this, man. This is cool. I just, I can't have to listen to this, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And she'll be thinking, oh my God, this guy's so deep. And she was sat there obviously just thinking like, what? Why? Like, I'm just, I might as well be here on my own. Uh, I yeah. miss HMV. They're still around? Like, as much, no, okay, I miss it being anything worth uh, going to. Oh, there's no music there. Although I, I tell you what. The, but also DVDs, like go in there and like, when you're like a teenager, go in there with like 20 quid and get in like three for 20 quid DVDs. So great. Okay, so I still do that. Yeah, but you're weird. They had a particularly good you're Criterion a sale weird recently. Guy, Adam. They had a two for 20, uh, 25 on Criterion sale. Pick myself up four. Some real patrician choices. Uh... I listened to a CD for the first time yesterday. A CD in my car. For the first time ever. And it sounds so good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. The quality is amazing on CDs, guys. I'm plugging CDs. That's what okay. I'm today. Well, well, the my, do my car discs. doesn't have a CD player. Really? No. Cars don't have CD players. Do they not? Days. No. New cars. New fancy cars. Yeah. Like Lucas. My new fancy car doesn't have a CD player. So I couldn't if I wanted to. Hmm. Do you think CDs will come around in the same way vinyl has? Cassettes are starting to come around now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got can... a cassette. I've got a cassette right here next to me that I bought a year ago, a year or two. Ago. I have a cassette that I found the other day entitled Radio Murphy, <gasps> and it's me and my brother. <gasps> I had to find a cassette player. It's me and my brother hosting a radio show, but we didn't have any songs to play, so we um, we had a keyboard, and you could like play Jingle Bells on it by pressing a button or like Lukukaracha. And we'd be like, and here's Luku Garacha. And then we'd play that and then go, thanks for listening to that. And then we'd introduce the next track. So look forward to that being released as a bonus episode. There you go. Radio if, Murphy. If I can get it online, it's going oh, out there. yes. I'm releasing that as my, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop that record like, overnight <laughs> like Taylor Swift. I'd just talk into my, my cassette player that could also record... And I'd just like do bits by myself and most of it would, most of it would just be reenacting scenes from The Simpsons but doing all the voices. And you can look forward oh to that God, bonus episode. Yeah. We need to like I just, recreate I just that do I just do the Simpsons. Uh just to show you here, this is a cassette I bought uh not long ago. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a Muse cassette, everyone at home. I'm going to yeah. start. Uh, I think that is a cassette a and it is unopened. Up. People are getting a bit fed up with hearing about Muse, so I'm going to start bleeping their name. <laughs> uh, I'd like to point out that I didn't say the name or anything in reference to the band. I just said, here's a cassette I bought. The band. I didn't talking say. About the band. I a lot of didn't stuff. say a word about the band name. I just showed you a cassette. The band name. Quite being... a neat little color, though. That's you quite a massive... nice color. That's quite a nice colour, that cassette, what as far as cassettes go. M- <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, guys, have you ever got an itch, like, right up your... Right. I wasn't on, uh, like, forums or anything like that yet. I was free, like you were saying, Lucas, uh, last week, I was free to make up my own mind on the album without any kind of interference of, like, fan bases or reviews or anything like that. I wasn't aware of the public perception of the album. Uh, I wasn't really like in full obsessive mode for any music in particular, really. Um, any Wattic? Oh, I need to. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> I need to leave that. <laughs> Does knowing the context of <laughs> it change your opinion of it? Lifeblood is an album that I've come back to over the years, and I think it's one of their more interesting releases. Uh, to place it in its current context, like the context around it today, it is at the, in terms of studio albums, it's exactly halfway through their career. There are six studio albums either side of Lifeblood. And Know Your Enemy Which has... Which is very interesting because we're almost exactly six months into this podcast. Exactly. And yeah. we're likely to be doing this for one year. Yeah. Um, interesting. The style of Know Your Enemy had been kind of uh, maybe a little bit rejected by listeners and maybe they didn't want to go back to being a huge band i don't think so again i think they come up with something that's quite again new i think that this album is a new sound for them do you you guys agree with that or disagree with that agreed i concur okay we're not going to talk about our opinions even on this episode (laughs) because we've been so secretive about it uh, what uh, what's interesting about the Manics, I think, is is that the first half of the career is filled with like interesting stories and unique situations and like punkish behaviour, and the second half of their career they kind of mature a little bit, and this is the beginning of that. Um, and the second half of their career is instead kind of filled with interesting experiments in music and some questionable decisions. So like their uh, their discography is no less interesting, but their story is maybe slightly less interesting in in like the later years. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 like what are your general sort of thoughts on the style of this album and 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 how what struck you most about it? It's very Kevin. What and spacey? Um, there's a lot of synthy keyboardy noises. That's true. String heavy. I I don't want to say anything more yet. I wouldn't say it rocks. Okay. In yeah. Anywhere I, near as much as any Lucas, previous album. Would you put the horns up to this? I don't think many horns go up to this album. Yeah, that's You're that's probably that true. Yeah. I'm in. I'd be interested to see how this is dealt with live a lot of the time because it's nowhere near as one of them. He's doing horns. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's doing, <laughs> doing horns. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, on the camera. Um, it is a strange album. I think it definitely comes across as a reaction to Know Your Enemy. It is like the opposite of Know Your Enemy. But then I think every album, maybe This Is My Truth wasn't quite as much a reaction to Everything Must Go, but every album seems to be a reaction to the last one. In some way, but I think that this is the biggest step in the way that, like, 
from Everything Must Go to This Is My Truth, there's still elements of Everything Must Go in This Is My Truth. Yep. Like, yep. It's still... I disagree. You disagree? I think everything must, well, everything must Go is the biggest <laughs> jump, I think. From the Holy Bible to Everything Must Go is, is I think, the biggest jump. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. That's a very big yep. jump. I actually... Yep. Might as well be two different bands. I actually One's really good, disagree. one's really bad. Well, because... But it's all, it's all still very guitar-based. And... There are some songs that are like like removables is quite holy bible esque. There's nothing. Yeah, no, it's worse on the album. There's nothing on this album that's very know your enemy esque. No, no, know your enemy was a very long, very uh, up and down album that had a lot of genre changes and 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 things like that. And this. Is it seems to be a conscious move to do something shorter, concise, and it all sounds very coherent and cohesive. Do you see what I mean? Yes. I shouldn't nod. We're on a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good. Yeah, leaning back as far away as you can. I nodding. move my mic closer to my face. <laughs> Hedges. I mean, there's only like a handful of political references, and um, like like you said, Steve, there's like there's a much bigger focus on simpler lyrics, but that also mm. means that there's a bigger focus on like. There's so much theme, so much melody Sound. in this Sounds. album. Sounds, melody, yes. Like every every part of this album adds a melody. Yep. Like there's some textural stuff, but a lot of it is very melodic and interwoven. Before we get into it, Adam, yeah, what do you think that we think about this album? Because this is the first time we've been totally off grid about it. Uh, that's not true. Uh, I pretended that I thought No Your Enemy was their best album, and then proceeded to no. But you've not, yeah. But you've not even pretended you like this. You've just said I want zero. I'm going to say zero about it. So I'm interested to see what Adam. thinks. I don't know, man. I think you know. There's things that both of you uh, will probably like about it. Um, The fact that it's short or shorter is probably something that you'll both respond to because I know you have issues with albums that are quite long. and a lot of it is very melodic, which I think Lu- Lucas and Steve, that stuff you've responded to previously. Lucas, you obviously like, you know, strings and, and very like evocative musical movements um, uh, on the whole, which I think this album has quite a lot of. Um, but it's also like, you know, there's enough interesting stuff to grasp on there. I'm, I, I think that I don't think either of you will completely hate it. I think there's a chance you you middle it, but I would mm. hope that you know. I think there's enough redeeming things about it that, that that you might like it. I mean, what do you think I think of it? I think it's I think it's one of your favorite albums, and you give it a ten out of ten. Why do you think that? Because it's a Manic Street Preachers album. <laughs> I think Adam's quite polarizing with his uh, reviews, yeah. and I I've got a feeling he might middle this. But also, you said it's your, like your first one that you like went and bought yourself. I think there's probably quite a lot of like you've probably latched onto it because of that. There's probably like the nostalgia factor, and I have said that there is a a an album in the second half of the discography that I loathe. I don't think it's this one. That I li- I don't think I know which I one give, it is. Like under a, a a five or a four. Like I like think if low. I think if a, okay. I think if a song I think if an album that you'd gotten into this early into getting into a band like the first of their albums that you actually buy yourself Hmm. you would then if you'd hated it you wouldn't have continued to listen to them to the level that you do with the manics i did not listen to this album a lot when i bought it 
Oh. Just the one time. Just on the, train, once, just on the on train. Just on the train in front of uh, his date. I li- he hasn't listened to it since. I listened to it maybe two or three times and then it went into the collection when it originally okay. came out. Interesting. So maybe that means he mediums it or nothings it then because he wasn't yeah. drawn to listen to it a million times. Whereas I think Know Your Enemy, maybe he listened to a million times back to back to back to back to back. Yeah, I mean, I've got like uh, two copies of that album. It's too ba- It's one too many. Lucas, one thing that I'm interested in that you said um, last week is is you couldn't see how this was a divisive album. Uh, Why is that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I maybe was wrong mm. in saying a divi- No, your enemy was divisive in that it was. Uh, words. There was a lot to. There was there was ups, big ups and big downs. There was big ups and big stamps. A lot of people people could latch onto, whereas this album is very, it's it's all of a certain type. And so I feel like, but then that, but then that doesn't mean it's not divisive because different people like different things. So I can see amongst Manix fans, this would be divisive. Whereas amongst, whereas amongst a single person, I feel like you probably either like it or you don't because there's not like, there's not big changes. Like I think Mr. Ripper Dance is one of their best ever songs. And I think the second half of the album is the biggest piece of dog shit. Like if if your favorite albums are like Holy Bible and Gold Against the Soul and and you, and you're obsessed with those. And then that band brings out lifeblood. You're going to be like, huh? Yeah. I mean, I suppose that's what I meant is, is that it is, it was divisive amongst the fans. I think many people have, have come round to it but there is still lots of people who do strongly dislike it and, and count it as the worst thing they've they've ever released and that's and that why greg felt the need to defend it on our episode i think so but then he was also talking about he was wondering if they'd gone too far in some places and gone too far down a certain road and and i think it's definitely still the runt of the litter in terms of manix albums and it's the one that people make fun of and it's famously like a bad album um, yeah, I mean, I watched that BBC interview. I think I've talked about this before, where they say, "Oh, we've had." James says, "Oh, we've had bad albums," and then the interviewer goes, "Go on, which one?" And yeah, he goes, get- oh, "I don't want to say." And he said, oh, "I suppose you know, people don't like Lifeblood." So I yeah. that I went into this knowing that the, that he the band have said that they don't like this record or that they feel that they got this record wrong. Um, All of it, or or like yeah, would they no, play just, any of it live today? Um, they play, I think, like a couple of songs get ro- rotated in, but. But you, you, you know, I've you can go to gigs where not a single song of Lifeblood is played. Mm. Um, but then that's because you're seeing Foo Fighters, though, so it's pretty unlikely. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> sure. Not even it is there. a very different album for them. But then I would argue that uh, all of them have been so far. Yeah. Once again, yeah. it's another album that I think if you showed me a B-sides collection. I'd be able to spot the songs that came off Lifeblood eleven Steve, times. Yeah, same, yeah, same. Steve, no, I Steve would. Well. I'd, yeah. I'd get. I know. I'd get everyone. But I'd as well. be, yeah. it definitely I'd be the same as it well. It has yeah. a sound, and I feel like it yeah. is notable yeah. in yeah. what yeah. that. The city is. that never sleeps. Shut up. Here's some things. Shut up. about it <laughs> that I think. Uh, it's the sound of them maturing whilst also trying new things. Uh, it has some absolute like pop bangers with great choruses uh, and like this incredibly lush production it's very nicely produced james's voice is great uh it's quite emosh in places it's got some lovely bass which on this one is played by nikki but it's also quite sterile 
Yeah, yeah. But it's also quite <laughs> sterile and cold and precise and a difficult album to, like, pigeonhole. Like, what genre is it? Well, uh, nice. ele- elegatic pop, whatever they call yes, it. Yes, it's elegatic pop. But but is is it pop? Elastic you know, there's pop. you know, elasticated pop. There's a lot. There, you know, there are some guitar solos on it. There's more guitar solos on this than there was on Everything Must Go. What is this album? It's Lifeblood by the Manic Street Preachers. Is that what? It's quite obvious, Adam. Is that what people weren't responding to? Is that they didn't really know what it was or what to do with it? It would be interesting to know what people thought was going to come next. Like, yeah. if they just wanted... Uh, is this what Greg was saying or, or what we've said before? It was like, if you just wanted... I don't know. Everything, everything must this go is my part truth two. Time, Yeah, this is my truth 2.0. Yeah. Like... Boring. Boring. Mm-hmm. Boring. Like, then it would just sound like a B-sides collection from that one. Um, so why not... I don't know. I feel like there's, I feel like there's try enough... Try something. I feel like there's enough traction that if you've made a really, really good album, you could probably, like, coast off it once. Should we, um, so isn't it start. isn't it refreshing that, that the Manics don't do that? Um, oh, I think it is. Let's let's start at the first track, uh, which is called 1985. This song, like, um, totally sets up the entire vibe of the album, I found, yeah. just from the get-go. Um, it's all synthy and stringy, although we've learned that they're not... A lot of this isn't keyboards, it's just heavily processed guitars, right? Yeah, although I would say that this um, is probably one of the exceptions to that. That I was is gonna say, clearly... It, like, it sounds okay. like some kind of melodica on this song or something. Yeah, yeah. Melodica. Going... Mm. I'm really glad it doesn't sound that. It's, re- it's really good, isn't it? It's so good. It's really good. It's really, really good. <laughs> it's the really chorus is really good. good. <laughs> isn't it really good? Oh, guys. I like the chorus guys, when it's it, really, really good. good. The, bit, the bit that I responded to most about the song is that it's, it's really, really good. It's really, really good. Yeah. Good, yeah. <laughs> um, I love how it's just kind of listing things around 1985. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, Torben like, Dean. Torben yep, Dean. Yeah, yeah, that happened. That yeah. was a thing. Yeah. The Smiths. <laughs> um, at least he says Ma, because otherwise I'd have a problem with him talking about Morrissey, I suppose. But um, it's really good. It's like, really good. Uh, yeah. It is really <laughs> like, good, isn't it? It's the bit where it's, it's around, really good. Around a minute and a half, 140 or something, there's a bit that's really a good. Guitar solo. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. <laughs> And then again around the three minute mark, and that's just really good slash great. <laughs> um, I think it's a guitar solo. I don't yeah, know it is. anymore. Yeah, it yeah, could yeah. be a keyboard yeah. solo. Yeah. Yeah. The chorus, it, it, the chorus, I would say slaps. Oh, uh, it's so good. Yeah. And, and the little, the little yeah. quickening before the chorus, where he says like in 1985, in 1985, yeah. that little bit, it just yeah. sets up the chorus so well for that little God release of synth. Like Nietzsche said, uh, you guys know who Frederick Nietzsche is. He uh, he's a, he really uh, he's a philosopher. What? He's a philosopher. Ubermensch. Yes, the Ubermensch. The uh, from from the speak Zarathustra. Um, That's what we should call our shout outs. The Ubermensch. Like, Ubermensch. Someone who's going to like really <laughs> mention really someone. Mention um, what was the bet though? I think that um, like I think that that well, 1985 is the year before the band officially forms. So I think that that is them placing a bet on themselves. Like, they're going to take this big risk, like being a band and following an artistic life rather than seeking, you know, a real job. There wasn't like a big, there, just, there wasn't like a big footy match in 1985. No, I don't, I don't think so. Well, I mean, there probably was football matches probably was, in yeah. 1985. I'd have to look it yeah. up. Um, God is dead is, is a famous Nietzsche quote. And it's the claim that the age of enlightenment has killed the idea of a God. Um, mm. But it has also That's... been interpreted as like the idea that God was once alive and man has killed him or her through sinning. Um, he was wrong. It's also he? He was wrong. a very good Nine Inch Nails lyric. That's God is dead and no one cares. If there is a hell, I'll see you there. That is a. Is good that lyric. Nine Inch Nails or is that Manson? Oh, someone's going to fact check me on that one. Yeah. Fuck. Fact check. There you fact go. He check. was mentioning Nietzsche. They're going to hunt for that fact. Fact hunt. Mm. Fact hunt. Fact hunt. Fact hunt. Brian fact Warner hunt. does have a tasty little ass. Though. That is true. Um, what did you just say, Adam? Fact, fact hunt. hunt. Okay, good. Fact hunt. Checking. Fact hunt. I thought you were calling me names. Stop it. <laughs> also, James's voice with those high harmonies in the chorus. Uh, I'll say this quite now. Uh, I, I'll kiss. say this quite now. Um, his voice across this whole album is fantastic. It's so good. He's quite a good singer, isn't he? He's he quite, is quite I've a noticed, good singer. Do you know what? He's really good. He's got pipes, <laughs> I think. Have you noticed? He's got some pipes. Have you also noticed that there is no Nicky vocal on the whole album? Oh, oh. <laughs> where like in the last the last album they had like a lot of songs had Nicky at least in the background and there was like yeah. a couple where he was quite prominent and again as a reaction to that no Nicky vocals like it's all James like singing against yeah. himself which I quite like because it's <laughs> I don't know it just seems funny well it's very pleasant and I think a lot of this album is very pleasant Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it is great, and the fact that the, I mean, the drums what? kick in halfway through the first verse is just yeah, uh, chef's kiss. Are you doing a chef's, chef's kiss, kiss yeah. again? Yeah, um, cook snog. Yeah, so we are we're we're positive about that song. It is a yeah, good a good it's, opening track. Uh, it is a great opening track. It may Do you know be, what I mean though. It does set up that vibe. Oh, absolutely. Like it's like this is what this album is. By the way, the whole album feeds off of that energy yeah doesn't it um i think personally that that should have been the first single and if people had heard I, that as the first single they would have been that's what this album is like 
because actually Nixon was the first single, right? Yeah, this next also, track only two singles yeah. as well, which yeah. seems because few. well, well, we'll get to that later on down the line. People didn't okay. like it, pretty much. Yeah, um, okay. because this they're wrong. The next track we're going to play, "The Love of Richard Nixon," is not representative of this album at all. No, but it still fits. It fits, but it's the only. It, it's it's still a little bit of an outlier in that the, there's no other purely like electro bop. Um, <laughs> uh, songs yeah. on this album, yeah. um, and so I think people heard this single and were like, "Well, if the whole album is going to be like that, then it's not for yeah. me." Let's play it. Let's play a bit of it. choruses my prediction is that lucas thinks this fucks i am not a crook really fucks yeah i thought so knowing knowing your love of repeat stars and stripes means that this is a full-on uh fucks for lucas vibe yeah hot badger talk about it a bit lucas talk to me it's good (laughs) it's really good it's another one of those songs that's good uh the 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 what happens when they go into the second verse what changes? So love builds around the sandy beaches. Love because there's something gets added or something. It it, it elevates. It does. The second verse is like a uh, little mm, little step up from the first, but I can't tell what specifically it is. Uh, let me let me figure right. it out. Hang on. I can tell. No, I can tell you what it is because I've got it written down. So the chorus, when it comes into the chorus, it doesn't really explode like a chorus should, but you've got it just sort of happens. The chorus, and then you've yeah. got these little synth noises in the background. Wow, um, that kind of... wow, wow, wow. No, it's not even that. It's oh, like... they're like the wow. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, yeah. There's so much going on, like in this. It, it, there is something just, in, just enough in the chorus that, that brings I love it layers. Up. Loads yeah. of princesses on the song. Lots of stuff. Lots of loads of princesses. Lots of stuff. Do you know what this song loads is not? Princess layers. It's, yeah, it's not. Good. This song is not lo-fi. This song is that is true. Hi-fi. Produced. <laughs> oh, it's got stuff going on. Greg, you're a great man. <laughs> I really like you. This is one of the it highest might... fi's I've ever heard on an album. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 you know it. But no, so th- there's there's enough that changes from the verse to the chorus, so you know it's the chorus. But it's still very much the same as the verse, mm. and it is just a little bit added. And I know what Lucas means. I think perhaps you didn't even know it was a chorus. 
and that's what you call back, it's like coming two. back into the verse like yeah can I make an observation on it as well is that there is yeah. there is more uh, words in each line so the first verse okay. is the world on your shoulders the love of your mother the fear of the future the best years behind you but the second verse is love build around the sandy beaches love rains down like Vietnam's leeches maybe it's that it's fuller there's more lyrics but I feel like musically that. there's something I don't know if maybe the percussion adds they add some more percussion or something or so, something who just knows makes, there's something a thousand gives, instruments something yeah, gives I mean, a bit more oomph in that second verse that I'm like yeah fucking this. one going. of the things yeah, that I really yeah. like about this album is that there is lots going on and it, yeah, you, know it. you are really rewarded by like a very active listen of it because it's so detailed mm. There's so yeah. much going on that you don't hear on like the first listen. I actively listen to this album deliberately more than I have any others so far. Interesting. Because I, I was aware, because I had that interview in my head of the band saying this was their potentially their worst album. I was like, no, fuck you. I'm going to make my own mind up. Because <laughs> you know what I'm like. You know what I'm you like. You love to have an opinion. You don't like yeah, Oh, to, yeah. yeah. I like to have, no, I like to have your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I um, listen to this album uh, like up the, up there with the most I've listened to other albums as well. But that's because yeah. it's one of their best albums. Right, yeah. yeah, I figured that you might, yeah. you guys might have that uh, opinion. I... This is for me. If I've now got my top three, I've got my clear, a clear top three albums. Everything must go. I don't know your third one. This is my truth. This is my truth. And lifeblood. And now lifeblood. Yeah. Um, it's like. Did, did anyone have this down on their notes about this song? Cheeky drums. The whole song the is cheeky. quite no cheeky. The word cheeky. And that little synth, that little synth goes boop, 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 boop through the whole song is is so cheeky. It's cheeky. It's so. But but what a weird first single. Okay. Okay. Also, great video, great album, great artwork for the single. Just weird. Yeah. Yeah. Mad bastards. <laughs> Stupid question incoming, okay? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Is this pro Nixon? Yes. Yes. Or is it ironic? No, it's pro, pro Nixon. Nixon. Right, because, okay, so my knowledge of the Watergate scandal is very, very Watergate limited. And gate. I've actually. There's Watergate gate. Yeah, the wa- Watergate gate, yeah. yeah. Um, gate. And I've seen Frost Nixon, <laughs> okay, but I yeah, still can't yeah. remember anything about it. Sure. But from what I understand, the public perception of Richard Nixon is bad. I think the idea of this song is basically. Everyone gives him a lot of shit, but basically they're all fucking crooks. They've all done something as okay. bad as Watergate. So the bit about death without assassination is basically saying if he'd been killed, people would probably be like, he's a hero! Like Kennedy. Yeah. Okay. Whereas whereas because he didn't, he, he resigned. They're it like, yeah, fizzled. because you're a shit bag. Into a, like a sweaty kind whereas of Whereas pretty much every president than, yeah. and every prime minister has done something worthy of being called a cunt. Yeah, I think I think that the whole. <laughs> I, will, I mean, yeah. In comparison, now I think Nixon seems pretty good. Uh, yeah, in comparison good, to today, he's in also comparison. He's very parodyable, though, isn't he? Even, like, <laughs> you just he's, yeah. you, you, you he's, know he's he's better he's better <laughs> even just from like the standpoint of he had the decency to step down. Yeah, Do you know yeah. what I mean. Like he was he was yeah. about to be in, he was impeached and no. then he stepped down. I'm not. I don't know enough about American politics. I'm sure he was responsible for many deaths. No, you so know everything about, about American politics. Please teach. Oh us yeah, it. I do. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, every yeah, yeah. president is responsible for many deaths. I think that Nicky was trying to make the point. I mean, uh, arguably JFK is all over this song as much as Nixon is. That 
I think Lucas, you're absolutely spot on that, that JFK had scandals in his presidency as well that kind of get swept under the rug because of the sad way that his presidency ended. Um, whereas Nixon... All over the back of a car. Exactly. Whereas Nixon <laughs> kind of had to resign and, and was brought up on all these charges and then was pardoned, which people didn't kind of appreciate. And, you know... And there was that interview too where he, he looks feeble. Um, yeah. At the end of it. And yeah, which is... Yeah, fair. Yeah, that's... Great. Nikki also I'm I'm enjoying Nikki also song. said that it's about the Manics relationship to Radiohead. Um which is what? that really he, what is is that he sees Radiohead as JFK and themselves as Nixon. So like JFK like like Radiohead is kind of glorified despite having issues like like the Manics do. Um and and the Manics are like the ugly duckling who had to work ten times harder to get their success, is what Nikki said. Um, okay, uh, I can get. I mean, I don't know if I agree, but I think that's definitely I, I true. Kind of that, get that is definitely a is sentiment saying. where certain bands are given the benefit of the doubt, or yeah. or not even the benefit of the doubt. They could release a straight up bad album, and people be like, "But they're still incredible, right?" Yeah, or just go, oh, no, it's not bad, it's genius. It's secretly genius, though, isn't it? Yeah, 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 but it's deliberately bad. Which is what we're doing now with Lifeblood, isn't it? Yeah, to... <laughs> no, because this album's deliberately no. really no, no. good. <laughs> we're deliberately releasing bad podcast They're, episodes. They, did, <laughs> they yeah. did their deliberately bad one when they released The Holy Bible as like a joke, right? Right, okay, This is our yeah. difficult 60th album. <laughs> um. I, I also think that maybe that's Good a justification song. for them doing something electronic is that they're kind of following in the footsteps of Radiohead and making that comparison. I think that that is a giant reach that I've made, but it makes me happy to think that. Lucas, also, also, Lucas, solo. can you solo. can you play the solo? Solo. The, I've solo. Written, the solo, though. The solo, though. <laughs> yeah, great. Lucas, can you play The Love of Richard Nixon at your wedding, please? Thanks. Cheers. Uh, again, I probably would enjoy it. Mm. Uh, me, <laughs> no you, one else Adam would. would be up for it. And then everyone else, apart from maybe the few friends that listen to this podcast, yeah. would maybe go, I vaguely recognise that. It'd be a weird song to play yeah. at a wedding. It's a weird song to release first off your album. It's a weird thing to do to try and humanise Richard Nixon. Uh, yeah. But I think that's one of the things I love about the Manics is that they are yep. fucking weirdos. Uh Great please song. come on the podcast. Yeah, please, please come on the podcast, you fucking yeah, weirdos. Just, uh, so yeah, I, I, it, it really made me sad the whole time we were interviewing Greg, and I had to stay quiet. And every time he had to like defend Lifeblood, because I wanted to be like, "But Greg, it's one of their best albums, you maniac." Yeah, he's like, "Oh, you're gonna say you're gonna say shit. it's shit." No, I'm not. It's really good. Um, this was the okay. other single, which is uh, "Empty Souls." Spoilers. It's really good. <laughs> It's really good. Oh, hang on. Sorry, that's New Year's Day by uh, you two. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Christ. Uh, right.
does it does sound like New Year's Day by you two. Okay, what came first? Because that's just blown everything out of the water. Oh, I don't know that song. So New Year's Day is is like from their third third oh, album. Oh no, that's a good point. You no, know, because yeah, this came out November first, and New Year's Day came obviously out January the first. So that's a good point. Yeah, you two, you two came out first. That's fine. That's very good. That's, I've but never I heard think of that song. I think War is like it's like 1985 New Year's Day. In 1985. No, not, <laughs> not that 1985. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, it just—it's always reminded me of it. It's the, it's the piano, but um, that's one of my favourite things about the song. Yeah, it's what one f- of my favourite things. What about a fucking the song. belter! Do-do. What a fucking um, banger! Why was this not first single? I think I might recognise this song. Really? Like pre this podcast? Oh, it's uh, New Year's Day by. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. no, don't know what that song is. Don't know what that song is. <laughs> yeah, you do. May have just you heard would. this song because it was actually a single, and I oh, existed yeah, in the time when it was released. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> There's the robot man. He's coming back out. <laughs> I existed in the time it was released. I was alive. I mean, in the time the song came out. It's it's classic Mannix to me. It's like anthemic and melancholy, um, but it has that Mate. sort of very serene production. That the guitar Mate. in the background is so cool. Mate, the wing. It's, it's a good song, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. Um, you were air drumming through a lot of that, Adam. There's I so love much that snare. drum da, 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 do, da, do, da, through the whole thing. And of course, it's as we great, learned last keyboards, week, piano. <laughs> as we learned last week, that was one take that Sean did while his car was still running. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I love it. And this is a song that came they together. They recorded very, that whole thing. Yeah, in one night. In one night. Yeah. Yeah. Came together very quickly. And I'm wondering if that more instinctual method of recording does yield better results because this mm. is one of the best songs on the album. Yeah. Correct. Um, controversial. Now, obviously, so this song seems to be largely about the attacks in nine eleven, right? Yeah, to some degree. Yeah, to some degree. It's, it's yeah, but I don't like the Twin Towers lyric. I think it's too obvious, and I think it really takes me out of the song. Collapsing like the Twin Towers is like uh, okay. I think like it's clumsy. Used a better man. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's what it feels like. And it's, it's just like okay, fine. But Manics are all about clumsily having to fit lines into. They are, but I think they have been more poetic about those kind of things. In that's what I wanted more from it. In, and in what was the the, um, the lyric they put instead of this in the edit? collapsing like dying flowers? See, I think that's better. Uh, I think it's worse because it doesn't get across the point of it's the a, song. It's, it's the same number of syllables <laughs> as Twin Towers as well, so. It's not like it's less clunky. So does it go collapsing like dying flowers? No, it doesn't. I need to hear it. Yeah, I'll, I'll send um, you the single edit. Or something. I don't know. It just seems like nine uh, eleven, guys. That, that that's all. It just seemed to be pushed on me, and I, I didn't. And that's the only thing I don't like. And about Steve the song. won't Otherwise, be pushed around like that. Oh, God, just I won't be Steve around. Will not be I've got my own opinions, guys. Steve's got a stance and he's going to fucking stick by it, even if yeah, Adam man. tells him to change his mind. <laughs> yeah, this song is great, isn't it? Adam? Uh, I tell you, one of the best things about this song. Is that in the music video JDB's playing a flying V, which flying is objectively v. one of the coolest guitars ever made. So Lucas, Lucas, you clearly love this album. You clearly love this album, Lucas, because you've searched out the music videos. Um, yeah, he played that guitar on the Lifeblood tour. Nice. Um, I I really like this song. I think it's yep. very cool. Song. I think all the pieces of it come together really well and. To hear that it came together really quickly and that they had to do like Mad. a rougher mix than Greg was used to makes sense. I think There's... he was talking about the drum track having the um, the acoustic 
uh, yeah, what's like the, the bleed. Uh, yeah. guide track yeah. um, just bleeding into the drums and they had to kind of cobble something together yeah. cool because this sounds wonderful it does yeah and it sounds it doesn't sound very um, very energetic as well which yeah. I think some of the songs on Lifeblood aren't energetic which probably kind of some that's probably come from the fact that it was done in one night in definitely several you're, you're hours kind of feeding off days. that energy in, in the studio you know and you're like yeah you know, we, rather than going yeah. oh that was a good take do another one and you're a bit tired and, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, there's one thing in this song that has always distracted me uh, for years and years and years. And you know when you hear a little something in a song and then it's all you can hear in that song forever. Like just a little detail. It only happens in the first chorus. There is a small click in the middle of the collapsing like the Twin Towers uh, line that sounds like the noise uh, uh, a Mac makes when you adjust the volume. You know that little... Oh, yeah. that thing. Right. right. Have, have a little. Did you hear it? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it, it's quite bad quality over Zoom. Yeah, but you can hear it. But I still heard that. Yeah. It distracted me. How did you hear that? Because I've heard this album a, a million times. Okay. To be very clear, this is an album that I have come back to over the years and it's just Love grown it. and grown in my estimation. Um, and I absolutely love this record. Who described it as a fine wine? Me. Mm. Yeah. Um. <laughs> there's a there's a song that has I shouldn't. It's another band. Why even talk about another band's song? Is it? No, go for it. Who is it? That there's a, that there's a, that there's a really obvious uh, like they they've obviously put two recordings of the lyrics together in between words, and there's a really obvious like like. Like little, oh, a little edit. Oh, and it's really, really, really distracting. And uh, yeah, it ruins everything. Everything. It ruins everything. To be clear, this this doesn't ruin the song for me. I think it's a great song. No, it, no, it's no, just no. it's just I can never not hear it. It's yeah. just it's just always there. Um, yeah. A song for departure. Belter. Can I ruin can I ruin this song for you? Oh nope. yeah, please do. I, that bass line is Tragedy by the Bee Gees. Shut up. Oh, that bass line whatever. No, it is great. I love that little then, but, This is a secret do, 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 
<laughs> this is bit. this is a secret disco song. Yeah, well, maybe, there you go. Maybe that's why I really like it. It is it because the little disco walk on the bass that doom boom doom doom it does yeah. uh, when it's transitioning <laughs> between verses and um, there's so much like phaser or flanger on the drums, which is an old seventies like disco kind of technique. Um, I I like this song. I like this a lot. Yeah, good song. Yeah, uh, you, yeah it's a really good song. You're going to hear yeah, this really a lot for me on on this album. I really like all of these songs. Continuing um, a run of really good songs. It's yeah. a really yeah. good song. <laughs> Apart from three. Also, spoiler Ooh. alert: the next one's a really good song. <laughs> yeah. What? What? Uh, I find. Uh, give me more keyboards inside my face, thanks. Let me try and there, there's something about this song that I've never been able to put into words. And even when I was writing my notes on this, and I've listened to this maybe like fifty times in the last month. Um, wow. I I still couldn't put it into words. So to me, it sounds really like dramatic. Uh, yeah, and yeah, and it, it reminds me of like like a BBC period drama. Right, you're losing me. Like with like, yeah, I'm gone <laughs> because it's got like so like it's it's all like windswept and misty. Right, Are you imagining like. <laughs> Somebody on a cliff top. No, it kind of, yes. And and like the wind is blowing in the face. And I'm imagining a horse drawn carriage, right? Ooh, and it's got yeah. that kind of Baroque piano where at the beginning of the chorus it goes like din it in and it's like this <laughs> yeah. it's this really like dramatic thing. And then all the lyrics are like a, Is there a crash? There's scene? a song to like take you homewards, which feels like a really dramatic sort of thing and a song to break your heart. Yeah, and, and a, a a song for broken lovers and it and it just feels like even the intro has like that windswept sound of like swirling mist and it just it feels very um Heathcliff. Yes, it does. It feels very <laughs> dramatic and like, yeah, yeah. Um, it, the, the lyrics are dramatic, as you've just described. Yeah, I, I get that. Like, yeah, thank you for finally bringing us around for that. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Strangely, I don't think my take is that it sounds like a period drama. <laughs> it's not. No, I would say dramatic. I, I don't think I mentioned that in my notes anywhere. <laughs> Sorry, Adam, can I, can I shatter your lovely thing you've just said? Yeah, I'm just going to read out something I've written here. Yeah. Guitar solo. Get inside me, Daddy. Yeah. Oh dear. Well, but there's actually two guitar solos, so that, <laughs> there is, that makes I it. Know. I wrote. I know. That actually makes it a duo. Guitar it, it's duo. A guitar duo. <laughs> it's a yeah, guitar the, duo. The, yeah. the notes for this song have two things written in all caps. The first okay, one yeah, is yeah. bassline. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah sure. Second one is another solo. <laughs> <laughs> like you wrote it as it happened. Like <laughs> it's another one. Shall we? Another. Shall we play the first solo? Because one of the things I love about it is that instead of the we we heard sure. in the clip there the hi hat going down into the yeah. second verse the guitar does that as well to go into the solo Ooh. and it's just chef's kiss let's play uh, it, daddy yeah. What a duo. Also, excellent vocal timbre mm. for Mr. JDB. 
his, yeah. his his vocals continue to shine in this song. I mean, at this point, yeah. his vocals are just like they're really uh, sourcing really my, good sourcing my mackerel. That's, to, that's what they're doing. To spoil it for me, to this day, I imagine he's fifty odd. Fifty one. Um, Does his do his vocals still fuck? I imagine he gets warmer. They do. Yes. But he can't hit the giant. They do record it. notes live, right? Yeah. yeah. Like he he can't he can't hit all of the S- high sorry. notes. He can't do all of the belting. Sorry. Hey, sorry, Steve Murphy here? Sorry, Steve Murphy. Okay. Yeah. Um sourcing my mackerel, please explain. It's just giving... What it means is it means it puts sauce on his mackerel. I've got a fucking dry mackerel and it needs some fucking yeah. sauce and James Dean Bradfield oh. is providing got... that sauce by the I ladle. Thought you were load. on a boat and you're sourcing them. You're trying to find them. Okay, fine. Oh no, it's not finding gotcha. my mackerel. It's it's ladening it with the moisture. That's that Disney. It that's deserves a Disney Pixar to uh, to shine. Are you going to talk over me for the whole episode? Finding Nemo. It's a joke about Finding Nemo. <laughs> it's Steve, it's Steve's, Steve's MO, isn't it? You know, to, to tell me off for interrupting and then to actually. What are you talking about? Though? And actually, uh, and what, no, interrupt honestly, more like, than anyone imagine, else. Imagine like if I was interrupting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Imagine though, like. guys. The next song is a song that I've never related to harder in my life because <laughs> I live to fall asleep. Uh, can I, before you press play, oh, fucking hell. Go on. Uh, I just said, I think this probably tickles Steve's nubbin. What song? What, this song? This song probably tickles Steve's nubbin. Oh, there's a lot what of this one? a lot of nubbin nibbling going on. Stop it. What a beautiful <laughs> song. Um, yeah. Probably my my favourite on the album, I think. I think, okay. it, I think it might be my favourite on the album. It's, I think this it might... It isn't mine. This might crest the top ten. It, it crests. In, in, yeah. in fact, I think this definitely crests the top ten, and I think there might be another... Ooh. This song makes me reconsider the top ten, that's for oh. sure. <laughs> Look forward to that in December. Yeah. Yeah. Five years' time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, how sublime is... Stayed waited till the end. Oh, oh. it's just oh, it's just oh. So I'm. Um, I stayed me. in bed till I stayed in bed till twelve thirty this afternoon. Beautiful. And I woke up 
very aware I've been sleeping a lot with this song stuck in my head. Because, um, right, it's not about sleeping being nice, is it? It's probably no, about it, depression. No, it literally is. Is it really? Yeah, it's it, well. I mean, it is about okay. it is about depression, but it's about like, yeah. And how Mickey has always said he loves he loves sleeping and sleeping like he doesn't exist, and he thinks that dreams like interrupt this like perfect state. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying this um, doesn't tickle your Steve Nubbin? Because I really had this as a Steve Nubbin calling, song. Are we calling it the Steve Nubbin? I yeah, thought, I think so. I, I'm I not thought, comfortable. I thought this was definitely rubbing your nubbin. I thought you were going to say, oh, the, I, the hairs on my arms stood up and I got, oh, and I got tingles one. and I got chills and it made me think of a, being on a beach with a girl. And <laughs> I just, Electricity, I just, holding hands. Yeah, oh, I thought we both, we're both looking at the fire. We're, we're both on the beach and we're, and we're staring into the fire, but then we look up at the same time and we, we catch a glance. But we don't, we don't kiss that night. And then, but then we never see each other again. I'm gonna. Sorry, and, I'm gonna have to. In, sorry, I'm gonna interrupt. Because sorry, yeah, sorry. It's getting to a place where I don't want to go. Um, <laughs> that like either like it's either guitar or like a high bass riff after I'd have to fall asleep after that lyric what, is do, so do, nice. Do, do, yeah, do, 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 do. I think it's bass, isn't it? Either way, it's wonderful. It's, it's wonderful. There's so much detail it's in the back of this mix as well. There's certain sections of the verses where there's echo on every other snare. And it, there's little production oh. touches like that that I that I just love. Uh, again, hi Greg. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Greg, you've done um, a great job. We really like you. Please be our friend. Yeah, there's a. Um, he, he said that at the end of it. He said, "Steve, you're my friend." Yeah, he said that. He but did. you guys have gone by that. Oh, okay. um, there's another lovely example of James just cramming Nikki's lyrics in and making them sound interesting and good and i'm not going to be able to do it justice hit but it's the how could you become another boy struck that one yeah that, that melody is really like staccato and and, and very it really feels yeah. off kilter yeah. yeah um again like one of the it, things that james dean bradfield is best at i think is is squeezing yeah. all this it sounds better than how i just did it it does sound better than that yeah, probably I, I does sound better meant. than you just did yeah. It. yeah 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 one of the things that sticks out on this song for me uh, and, and it kind of highlights something that's across the whole album is is there's sort of stuff in the background that that sounds like it could have been done by strings, but is actually like volume swells on guitars. Um, and I'm wondering, like, if that had been more prominent and done by like a string quartet, would people prefer this album? Because if you replace all of the processed guitars with strings, you kind of have something that's very similar to Everything Must Go. It was enough. I mean, as as the resident string. Whore, yeah, I was going to say I'm going to throw that to you. Uh, <laughs> it, it it did it enough though. Like I'm that person, and I responded to this album because okay. I got the I got the anthemic and I got the produced. But, and like, I mean, strings might have taken it to the next level. Yeah, who knows? That's yeah, <laughs> who knows? But Lucas wouldn't have been able to come onto this podcast today because he'd be melted in a puddle. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm melting a puddle in this hot room. Oh. Yeah, my, oh. my room is boiling. Oh, uh, it's warm. Oh. There's, there's a line in this oh. room. Oh. 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 There's a line in this song that uh, reminds me of a previous Manic song. The line, uh, needing to remember how or why to live, uh, reminds me of another song that you liked, Lucas. Another piano-led song that you liked, which is You're Tender and You're Tired from This Is My Truth. Um you're tender yep. and you're tired. You can't be bothered to decide whether to live or die. Um, uh, yeah, it just reminded me of that. It was a nice little sort of callback to some of their previous writing. So we're kind of... Um, we're five out of five so far. 
We're for, being boring because we all just agree it's yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good song, isn't it? The, yeah. Are you about to... I'm curious to know what you're about to say. Well... Say what you're about to say before we interrupted you. We're, we're five out of five for, for, for like a run of great songs on this album. Uh, that last one was probably my favourite on the album. I don't think we're being boring because by all accounts, we're sort of flying in the face of the popular opinion of this album. Like People are wrong and stupid. To have three people sit around and talk about how great Lifeblood is probably quite a rare occasion. What I was going to say about this next song is it, uh, it it's really difficult uh, for me because uh, uh, it vies for me as uh, the other best song on the album. overt reference to ghosts on the album Mm, to repel them yeah Mm. bust them if you will yeah this is a song about the ghostbusters yeah 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 Yeah. who are you going to call James Dean Bradfield yeah and Nicky Wire and Sean Moore Uh, the ghostbusters yeah Yeah. (laughs) as they're affectionately known um Adam and Lucas yeah I really love Lifeblood yeah, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. That's fine. Just, okay. Next song. <laughs> it's so good. I will say, like, this is so this is one of the songs I was talking about, about how the lyrics are kind of so minimal. Yeah. And it was literally like, I think the song's about 12 lines long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got the lyrics in front of me and course. there's a lot of repetition. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, sonically, it's, it's so lovely and spacious. Yeah, this this one is particularly nice. That, that down, 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 down. Oh, with, oh, and, it's, and it's got the delay on it, and it opens with a delayed yeah. acoustic guitar, I think, which is oh, yes. is so nice. And it has that wordless yes. chorus, where for the first chorus he doesn't include one of the lines that comes later, which is um, a, a soul in pain has no image to reclaim, which um, is is slightly too close to him saying asshole. Say it again. Asshole in pain. Uh, <laughs> Has no image to reclaim. Save assholes. Yeah, exactly. Asshole yeah. in pain. It's uh, oh no. Yeah, <laughs> it's not ruining it. Sorry, for me. sorry, Lucas. What are your thoughts oh, on this? It's song? like when I had a colonoscopy all over again. It's all coming back to me. Uh, I said that on the podcast. This is by no stretch a bad song. 
But it is one no, of your least favourite on the album. But it is no. But this is this is the classic Manix front load their album, and there is nothing in the remaining seven tracks that are as high as any of the prior five. Not true. I disagree. <laughs> uh, but but compared to this album, is much more of a flat line than any other album, which have maybe some higher highs, mm-hmm. like the lights of Monsieur Pedisco Dancer. Never heard. Or everything it. must go. But no, also, no, no. by by no stretch, the lowest of the lows compared to some of the other albums. Like, there's a lot. Pretty much every album I've had at least a couple of songs where I've either disliked it or nothinged it. Right. Nothing on this album gets a dislike or a nothing. At okay. the very least, at the very least, it gets. It's quite good. Doesn't that mean that this should be higher in your estimation than this is my truth? Depends how high those highs are, aren't they? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Depends I suppose how so. high those highs so. are. Um. There but is... this is by no by no stretch a bad song. This is a good song. It's just not as good as any of the five songs that have come before. But on a lesser album, this would probably be one of the best songs of the album. <laughs> Stick this on Know Your Enemy. Stick this on Know Your Enemy. It's up there. There's loads of uh, very cool things that James is doing with his voice on on this album, uh, but but very specifically in in this song that that post breakdown. It's almost like instead of a solo, they've put like a vocal section in. Uh, which is just I'm going to see if I can find it I've not written down the time code so nailed it so there are vocals in the background at the moment as well and then this vocal release is so nice Asshole in pain. You ready? Asshole in pain. pain. (laughs) (laughs) How's this song about the Ghostbusters? So this song's about Ghostbusters. Yes. Yeah. This this album came out in in two thousand and four. This song came out in 2004. Uh, the the film Ghostbusters didn't come out until 2016, though. Oh, you're right. It's more evidence so that, to the... Uh, it was No, it was the, reference to the book, I think. Was there a oh, book, was it? Is, is, okay. the, yeah. is the 2016 film the Ghostbusters? Cri- yeah, the Michael Crichton novel Ghostbusters. Ah, uh, right. that's yeah. why they then made the film in 2016, the only Ghostbusters film that they yeah. made. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Yep. Yep. Cool. I think I think ghosts are a metaphor for the past. Whoa, Steve, oh. does that make you feel things? He said the word past. Lucas, I feel things all the time. Whoa. I'm a very I just want to say on the podcast now, I'm a very sensitive man and a passionate lover. <laughs> To me, 
There's so many good choruses on this album that like almost mm. every time I listen to this track, the verses I'm listening to, it, I'm going like, yeah, I guess I like this one. Like, then you go, like oh. not as much as the others, but then the chorus kicks in. And I'm like, oh, I'm fucking, I have arrived. I'm, I'm here. Um, uh, the chorus, by the way, of this song sounds like Coldplay. Don't at me. Yeah, but that's not. <laughs> Please at him. That is at not. Way Lucas. At, at, do at me. At the risk of because being. Because he needs the attention. At the risk of being controversial, um, I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, sometimes sounding like Coldplay is not inherently a negative thing. Yeah. Yeah, because do you not think Coldplay probably sound like this song? Um, Lucas, do you love the bass on this song? There's a lot of good bass in this album, isn't there? Yeah. Nicky really upped his game. Yeah. It's Nicky really upped his game. Yeah. He's really like, like he's really learned how to play the bass guitar. Is there a theremin in this song? Yeah, could well be. There's loads of stuff. There's so much like yeah. swirling background stuff, and there is on the whole album. It's a very sort of um, atmospheric. It's a very atmospheric, atmospheric and album. actually, if it's very ghost heavy, Ghostbusters bit aside, what bit? It would bit? make what sense of the stuff like. Oh, sorry. Ghostbusters facts aside, is that it's likely there's going to be a theremin on it. <laughs> well, I mean, there's more references to ghosts in the lyrics here. The yeah, relics, is, yeah. the that's, ghosts. That's the first point I was like, oh, wait, hold on. There is ghost souls, emptiness. And the chorus, of course, yeah. is about it's what you forget that kills you and it's what you remember that makes you. So there's sort of more of that kind of memories as ghosts, sort of uh, that thematic thing yeah. kind of coming coming into the album. The, the, the song largely is about Emmeline Pankhurst. Um the British activist that uh, organised the UK suffrage movement and helped win the right to vote for women. Um, it's also the first track that appears on the album that was produced by Tony Visconti. Okay. So Weirdly, the first song on the album I don't love. Same. Yeah. Because Greg's, mm. be- Greg's better. Right. Yeah. Greg, 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 sure. just, Greg does the good songs and uh, official fan of the show. Tony Visconti <laughs> does the less good songs. So. I should, I should point out, right, that we haven't, we genuinely haven't said like, let's have a positive opinion of this album yeah, across the board because we interviewed Greg Haver. Um, I, we sorted this before. We we listened to this way before we talked to him. My we? notes were fully locked in before talking to Greg, and his he was not going to change my opinion. And Greg, if I if I thought it was shit, I really would have told you it was shit. You could tell, no, <laughs> but but I, you could tell you could tell your frustration in that episode, Lucas, because you really wanted to say how much you loved it, and you couldn't. Yeah. Um. I I don't dislike this song by any stretch. It's just the first song that didn't kind of wow me, and, and the album really has. I, I'll say now. This is the first um, Manix album I've listened to that clicked instantly. Oh, right. I listened to 1985 for the first time. And you were on board. Properly. On board. And through through the album. And then I was like, right, okay, I want to listen to that again. I listened to it again the second time around, straight away. And I've not done that. Like, obviously, Holy Bible was this beast that kind of I had to really dig into to really enjoy mm. if that's the right word for that it album. is not no <laughs> no but this was just a joy to listen to so like the songs i don't like on this album aren't bad they're just i don't know they're not like, as good I don't as... know. That, that's what i'll say about this it just it just clicked a lot for me and i was really pleasantly surprised because i was all ready to kind of nothing this album yeah um because i knew know your enemy was a divisive album i knew that going into it and i knew lifeblood was a divisive album going into it um but I reacted negative, negatively, 
Yes. Negatively mm, to yes. your enemy, but mm, yes, mm. points. And uh, But this was the total opposite, and it was really nice surprise. Yeah, I mean, to build on what you've just said, Steve, and what Lucas has said, is when I say that I don't like this song as much as the others, the first five songs, uh, the first six songs for me are like mm-hmm. nine out of ten, ten out of ten songs. Yep. yep. They're like Agreed. so my fucking jam. They're so yep. on my shit. I fucking love those songs to death. And so Emily, it's yeah, it's not a nine slash ten out of ten song. It's like a six or a seven. But it's still like, it's like a seven. still positive. It's yeah. still a really good song and I still really like it. Lucas, would you agree with yeah. that? Would you see like the first five songs as being particularly high in your estimation? Yeah, I mean, you're never going to get me to give anything a nine or a ten yeah, out of ten, sure, so sure, behave. Sure. But, uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a Lucas seven is like a twelve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but a... Uh, but, yeah, I agree. Yeah, like, like, there's, like I said, there's no songs in this album that I dislike or, or nothing. nothing yeah there's just songs that are really great or good from you and this the, isn't or at the very least fine right yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah uh, there's there's some interesting stuff that tony visconti has actually said about the manics which i've always like i love looking up shit like that like really famous producers or really famous musicians saying stuff about this weird little british band that i love like, I, I love shit like that. So uh, Tony Visconti has said that, like, he was surprised at how musically accomplished they were, um, mm-hmm. that uh, Nicky has uh, got some serious Motown chops on the bass, which is, like, a really big compliment coming from Tony Visconti. Motown chops. And that um, James Dean Bradfield has an incredible voice and is the loudest that Tony Visconti has ever recorded. Wow. Because, obviously, James just, like, fucking... Belts, belts it out like his voice do you is think so the song motown junk would have been better to be called motown chops favorite song on the album yep <laughs> it tickles every single thing that steve loves about a song it makes, his hairs, it makes the hairs in his arms turn up the first line is basically written for steve <laughs> yeah yeah he did it's he steve's me up because favorite right. song ever when did life get so complicated but when did it start stop when did it. time start stop it start accelerating stop make it. life make slower. life slower stop life growing stop steve stop just it. think when it was so simple in the past um i'm can i shock you yeah I'm welling up a bit because of what you just did. Oh, my God. 
Literally, as soon as I heard what the song, I was like, Steve, What a pathetic little man. worm. What a weasel he is. What a little pathetic weasel. Uh, yeah, I love Steve, that. Steve's song, isn't it? I mean, it is a, it's a lovely song. Uh, it is. It does tickle that. I, I can get why it would tickle a nostalgia. Yeah. I've written. I've written. Kind of flicking. Flicking the nub, mate. Yeah. Kinda. You just t- welled up at me describing <laughs> it. Well, you just, need, you just need to say the past, Lucas. The past, Lucas, can I shock you? I think I agree with you. This one has never massively stood out to me. I didn't say that. Yeah, he didn't actually. <laughs> I didn't say that. I thought that's that. what you were saying was going. Like, no, no, no. no. I think it's better than Emily. Right. Uh, I think it's a similar quality, if not a little bit better, to Repel Ghosts, Imo. Uh, but but my opinion on the song is irrelevant because I can just I could immediately sense how strong an opinion Steve would have. <laughs> Honestly, and this man. is Steve's song. It's not for us to discuss. This song <laughs> destroyed me. Really, <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's it, it's it, it's my favorite song on the album. The guitar part. Yeah, more like Glass Nostalgia. Am I right? Steve, nice. if we can still fall in love. Oh. If we Embrace with us. Can we anymore? Can we anymore? Like we used to, you know, in the 90s. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> um, can I say, can I, full confession, before our last episode, until um, we talked to Greg and he references this song as Glasnost. Yeah. I thought it was called Glasnot. So oh, I right. had this whole joke built up about how this song was like, should we go to Scotland? We no wait. Oh, hold on. <laughs> Try again. I can see what you're doing. You're you're gonna say. Should we glass go? Yeah. No, we should glass not. It's good to know that Steve pre-prepares. Yeah, yeah. That is yeah. So I was all well. I was all up for that. Uh, well, anyway. I'm I'm almost like uh, like reticent to tell you the kind of context of the word glasnost. Okay. And what it, means. it has been used in Russian to mean. Openness and transparency. Yeah, transparency. Specifically used at least the end of the 18th century, but also very famously used by Gorbachev in regards to Russian policy and his socialist policies, which we know that the Manics are sort of keen on, and yeah. the fact that he failed, which again is is another thing that Manics are obsessed with, which is like failure. Um, but it, that almost does that take away from that sense of nostalgia for you. No, no, the song like <laughs> nothing songs... can take away the nostalgia. <laughs> no, the song just just it, it open it opens me wide up, Adam. Oh God! When I read that Glasnost means openness, it actually made me it, it, like I've never been a massive fan of this song, but it clicked uh, on on this on this extended sort of listening for me because Lifeblood in general is a very open album with very personal lyrics, and mm. I think Glasnost the idea of that fits in so well with the album this might actually be the key to understanding the album they're asking themselves can we still fall in love like with music greg spoke to them like spoke about them not being sure what they wanted to do like musically and can they slow down time do they want to be younger when things were easier is it more difficult to make music these days the the other thing is that um the other thing that uh, occurred to me when i was talking to greg and and I was thinking about this song not necessarily clicking for me. Uh, when we were talking to Greg, that's fine. Yeah, sorry. Um, about this song not necessarily uh, clicking for me previously is that he said it was recorded in the studio after a disappointing record company playback. Now, wow. now a, a record company playback is when the record company come down and listen to the whole album and kind of give their thoughts on it. And obviously they were a little bit disappointed with the way that Lifeblood was turning out. So I think... 
that this ends up now feeling to me as though James then went into the studio and thought, right, well, I've got to write a single. I've got to write kind of a hit. And so this feels to me like he's consciously chasing... A, like like it gets to the chorus much quicker than a lot of the other songs. Yeah. It's got that really memorable riff. It's got very simple lyrics. I feel like he was chasing a vibe and and knowing those things about it has made it kind of click for me in that regard. I actually really like it now. You you can hear this song on Radio 1 at the time, for example. We, yeah. You can hear it on now, Radio it 1 it at the time yeah, now. Steve. No, no, but you know, <laughs> what I mean is that this could have been played alongside Travis. Not fast about that uh, comparison, but uh, <laughs> what yeah. I mean, I'm trying to say how it is. It's accessible. It's very accessible. It's accessible. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. would have been. It it could have been. It wasn't a single, right? And accessible isn't something that you expect from the Manic Street Preachers on track eight of an album. Do you know what I mean? The second yeah, half yeah. is when they're usually shaking things worse. up and doing some. Not worse, Lucas. It's when they're shaking things up <laughs> and doing like. Yes. Doing some like weirder <laughs> stuff. Um, uh, any more thoughts on Glasnost? It is the pinnacle of human last achievement. Wonderful song. It's a, yeah, it's the pinnacle <laughs> of human achievement. And then, um, and then the next three songs happen. Oh, that's that's very dismissive because I'm assuming that uh, that Lucas thinks. I mean, there's four more songs. Also, yeah. there's four more songs. Steve, not three. <laughs> yeah, I know because then the last one's fucking wonderful. <laughs> I'm assuming there's at least one aspect of this next song that Lucas loves. Slap a de bass. Slap a de bass, mon. A tap a de bass! Oh, Christ. A slap a de bass. Also, a slap a de bass. Right, cut out the last 30 what seconds. What a great <laughs> chorus as well. Can I can I just defend myself? When I talked about the next three songs... From what? Oh, right, okay, go on. Yeah. The... <laughs> I thought you'd done something horrendous in the public eye. My slanderous <laughs> yeah. comments that I've just tweeted and I tried to get rid of, but yeah. Um, I still like the next three songs. Yeah, they're still they're good. they're just not yeah, on yeah. the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Lucas, would you like to talk about this bass? Bum, ba-dam, bum, 
and that's and that's down, a good point. Yeah. But also, but also, you're giving the bass all the credit. But what about? Because that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. yeah. That's yeah, important. It's, good, it's important. That's yeah. important. You can't forget that. This song <laughs> don't don't sleep on that <laughs> bit. This song feels like so shiny. It's like such a shiny, shiny that's a song. Nice, that's a nice way of putting it. I like that. Uh, I, I I feel like they should have made up their mind about what they're going to call the song. Right, <laughs> the fact that they gave it two titles and that, and that they're like complete opposite. putting a forward slash in is very lazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just. True. It's either called always or it's called never. Yeah. Don't go, look, Greg and Sean think it should be called always. Nikki and James think it should be called never. Straight down the middle, <laughs> forward slash, no arguments. That's not it's very how, polarizing this that's title. That's not as well, how isn't it? you name a song. Someone needs to just make a decision. <laughs> Great. And it's that yeah, reason. Yeah, 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 and it's for that reason why I'm giving this album a three out of ten. James's vocal is great in the chorus. It's great. To be fair. All and over his vocals this album. are great throughout this whole they album. Are, yeah. I know, but particularly the song like it stood when out he, when he goes into that higher register in the chorus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's um, how you do but it. Like, the, I think in the verses, there's like an effect on his vote. It's like almost like a flange. It's a seventies phaser kind of vibe. Yeah. No, that, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. Where it kind of goes, like that. There's a lot of of bad sound effects. Is that Dory talking to the whale? Well, I'm just, um, (laughs) I'm going to edit all of these out and we can release a sound effects record like they did in the 60s from like old episodes of Doctor Who. I love it. Um, I don't have loads to say about this song. I do think it's good, but but it also feels quite, um, quite light. Do you know what I mean? It, it doesn't do a lot for me. In terms yeah, it feels of... quite flimsy. It feels a little bit uh, kind of not um, not disposable because I do think it's really good, and I think the arrangement in particular is really great. It just doesn't it doesn't grab me like some of the others do, you know. Yeah. Um, up next is another one that's that was produced mostly by uh, Tony Visconti, which is Solitude. Sometimes is now just to give you the context, a little bit of context before we play it. This is often earmarked as like the standout track from the album amongst um, Manic's fans. The solitude sometimes is a place that I would like to live A solitude sometimes is Where nothing really seems to fit If black were truly black, not grey It might provide some depth to pray To black out all the words of men too, but not even then. A solitude sometimes is. Um, I'm going to stop it there because it's quite a rare manic song in the fact that it's a slow build. 
um, it, it, it kind of it goes from starting very very quiet to ending like with the full sort of big production which is not something that they do very often um, I really like it it gets I mean it gets really metal towards the end doesn't it it gets like yeah it turns really to a screamo sort of, doesn't it it sort of becomes like I'd most I'd, I'd quite closely compare it to Dragon Force no yeah. I compare it to Cannibal Holocaust oh okay that's a film yeah that's a film what are you yeah. twat <laughs> Cannibal Corpse done. Have you Cannibal have you Corpse seen done. Cannibal Holocaust? Cannibal Corpse are in Ace Ventura. Have you seen Cannibal Holocaust? No, it's the one with the tortoise being opened up and stuff, isn't it? Mm, yeah, it's an. In- I'm aware of it's it. It's an interesting film. Um, yeah. Have you seen um? Have you seen Cars Two? Yeah, that's another interesting film for very different reasons. Yeah. 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 It's not as good as Cars One, is it? Cars Two is is an atrocity in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> Glockenspiel. Solitude sometimes is what? Glockenspiel. Oh, yeah, solitude, solitude sometimes, sometimes, sometimes is Glockenspiel. Glockenspiel. Yes. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. Um, I think this is really great. Um, it's fine. I think yeah. I think it's really cool. It's kind of the most sort of alt rock sort of song on the album. But it's. Do you know what's most concerning? Is that as these podcast episodes go on, me and Lucas are becoming more aligned. That is worrying. Which I do not I do not appreciate. I know. Adam, I'm very sorry. Carry on. I like the, the white noise sample at the beginning that keeps the time. Um that bit. Nice, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I like the lyrics. If black were truly black, not grey. It's something James has talked yeah. about um a lot. He talks about it in, in the film that was made about them, No Manifesto, where like in the eighties you knew who to be angry at. Because oh, okay. you know the government were doing particularly horrible things directly to people that he was related to and, and was close to, yeah. And now it's much more difficult to tell kind of who the good and the bad guys are and who you should be angry at and um, and things like because that. Because everyone in power is terrible. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it was very like he he always talks about like you, you know you, you knew the score you, you woke up and you knew who to be angry at and that kind of is not the case in certainly not the case now but wasn't the case in two thousand and four either. Definitely not the case now. It's like. Who's the worst one? Who who's the least worst one to vote for? Isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I really like it. I like how it builds. Um, I like the guitar sounds on it. Let, let's play a little bit of the end just so we can hear like it fully built up. Gets uh, <laughs> gets much bigger towards the end. This is the one that they still play live. If you're gonna get, oh really? If you're gonna get a Lifeblood track live, it's Solitude. Sometimes is. That's, we that's saw 1985 live, didn't we? Yeah, and they played Empty Souls. Um, Did they? And I think they played. Uh, they played something else off of Lifeblood as well. It might have been I Live to Fall Asleep. If if I saw the Mannix and they played Glasnost and No Surface or Feeling. I would die. Well, I think you would die. I think I'd just die. That's worth bearing in mind. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send them an email. We'll finally get rid of you. <laughs> anyway, when uh, we see them in December, it disappoints me to know that if we're gonna get something off this wonderful album, we're gonna get one of the worst tracks on it. IMO. Uh, mm. w- when you say like one of the worst tracks on it, what, what, what is it you think that makes it have that status? 
it just doesn't fuck as much as the others. Sure. It's like, it, again, none. It's not bad. None of the songs in this album are bad or nothing. It's just not one of the ones. That I think what it is, slap it, slap. I, d- I don't. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it might be the f- no do. <laughs> it might be the fact. Put him right in his mouth. Put him so in his mouth. It might be the fact that it is a slow build, and the others are, you know, like get get straight to that chorus. They're really catchy. They're immediate, and that this one is. You know, it doesn't really have a. It has a chorus in a way, but it it gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes. And so there's, it's it's a a tougher journey on that song than it is on the others. I feel it's maybe it it felt to me like it was maybe a verse too long, and then when I was listening, it's only like three twenty three. It's yeah. three twenty, and um, but it tended to, it tended it tended to sort of drag towards that. Okay. So it seemed longer than it was. So like, if you took a verse out, then it would have been too short. But like, I don't know. It just seemed it seemed to drag for me a little bit. In and again, as Lucas has said, it's not bad. At yeah, all. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very lovely, pleasant song. It just doesn't slap. Yeah, I don't think there's I there's guess. there's any there's no songs on this album that any of us really dislike. I suppose. Yeah. Which yeah, which I would is. Say that. Is don't worry, we can get to the B sides though. The next song has a wonderful lyric which I can't get into yet. Uh, Is it two minutes silence in a century of screams? No. Oh, is it tiny massive hands? (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes. (laughs) All right, here we go. So, listen, I'm going to go and not talk about the song for a bit, and I'm going to talk about something completely different. Tiny Massive Hands, have you guys ever heard of or experienced... Jeremy Beadle. The Alice... The <laughs> Donald Trump. Um, yeah, one of those, yeah. The, the Alice in Wonderland Syndrome. No. no. So, Alice in Wonderland Syndrome is a neurological sensation where you feel like parts of your body are either massive or tiny. Well, we know that Steve has that. 
Uh, and I, I used to, exp- I used to have that loads as a kid. Did you? It's quite, it's common in developing children. I'm sure it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, on, we've turned you. something very interesting into smut. So okay, sorry. Get through yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> Happens a lot in developing children. Happens a lot when people have certain neurological disorders. Uh, and it's a thing I still get from time to time, and it's really weird. What in in what context do you do you get this? My hands, really. I can't describe it. Are like fucking massive, really gloves, really. Ooh. Yeah. But well, like, spoilers for the listeners. Lucas's hands are fine. My hands are normal <laughs> size. You've got normal hands, mate. You've got yeah, yeah. normal. But basically, normal hands. I, I, it's like when it's often when you're between asleep and awake, you feel it. Uh, but I have, in times of complete lucidity, also felt it. So, do you? Does it affect? Does it affect how you like pick stuff up? Nope. I could just like no. I could pick something up and just be like, it's weird that my giant, giant hands are holding this pint glass. Weird. It's weird. It's weird. The feeling of my enormous hands. That's, it's it's that, really that's cool so and interesting. interesting. And when I have, I still, I got it fairly recently. I was hungover, and so I like, I got it when I was hungover. And I was like, well, I know this is fine. It's not a problem. It's just a weird thing that happens sometimes. And I was just like, I'm just going to enjoy it for a bit. It's literally called Alice in Wonderland Syndrome. So I wonder That's if this cool. feeds into something I used to have as a, uh, as a young child. And it's that more was, common in kids. It's um, common in kids. But basically, I used to hallucinate a lot as a kid. And it was when I got ill and I used to have fevers and overheat. And I used to have what my parents called the heebie-jeebies and i would go nuts and i'd see shit and i distinctly remember seeing there's a there's a reason i'm getting into it um i distinctly remember seeing skeletons swinging from spikes from the ceiling as a child which fucked me up a bit this these don't sound like the same thing however listen um but when i used to start to hallucinate and i used to like go insane like things would become really exaggerated so sounds would become really loud and my mum was going it's okay and i'd be like stop shouting and but also i would feel like my hands were larger than they were and and everything was very exaggerated so i wonder if it's a similar how old maybe that how is old just, were you Steve? yeah oh it was last week when i was doing lsd <laughs> but that's not the point how old how old were you uh I think the the youngest was probably about six or seven. That's very interesting. When I was when I was about eight or nine, um, I was absolutely convinced that my room was haunted and that there was mm-hmm. something in the cupboard. And oh, my got a story about that. Karen. My parents could not leave me alone. Like a, a, as soon as they would leave the room and close my door, I would just start screaming. Yeah, like. I would just start horrendously screaming, convinced that something was going to happen to me if I was left on my own. Now, what it ended up being was a reaction to childhood trauma. Um, okay. So what, like, were you, were you going through something at the time or was it completely unrelated? Nope. Completely unrelated. That's um, very interesting. It was literally fever, fever dreams manifesting in kind of hallucinations. Um, but then my dad recounted a story to me when he was younger and he used to um, have fever dreams that it was a recurring dream of um, out of his cupboard, like a fire monster would come out. Cool. And it'd get hotter and hotter as it came towards it. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. And uh, so, it, it, yeah, interesting. Apparently 
We all just experimented with drugs in the 60s. Though, so, <laughs> Alice in Wonderland syndrome, also known as Todd syndrome or dysemop, I'm not going to try and say it, is a neurological condition that causes a distortion of perception. People may experience distortions in visual perception of objects appearing smaller or larger, closer or farther away. Often associated with migraines, brain tumours, psychoactive, psychoactive drug use, and also common in childhood and commonly experienced during the onset of sleep. The human brain is a magical place that, that uh, is very odd. Um, the song, though... Uh... What about the song, though? <laughs> it's fine. I like it. It used to be one that I, that, um, that I used to skip, uh, but it's grown on me quite a bit and actually i think it kind of uh completes the storyline of the album because is it a melodica though it is a melodica yeah um yes i'm into it 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 kind of (laughs) seems to be about fragments of memory and finding peace with them back to the theme so like we, we have an album that like starts in 1985 and is about looking back and we have a song about a president who hasn't been president for 30 odd years at the time that this album came out and um you know we have all these songs about ghosts and memories and history and not forgetting uh historical figures or your own past and then at this point of the album you know uh we're talking about fragments of memory and finding a place where peace exists and kind of coming to terms with all these ghosts and memories and the nostalgia and as such i think that's why this song is so kind of serene and peaceful it's not like a banger and actually the chorus is quite Mm. weird the bit where he says the fragments fail to hold me there's a lot of tension in that musically like the drums are quite scatty and and it's not a chorus you feel a bit kind of uh a lot of tension uh in that moment and then it's released by going back to that sort of serene calm sort of melodica line and 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 that that feeling i I like it a lot um it's it's not one that i'm like oh i must i have to listen to fragments but i think in the context of the album as a whole it sort of sums up everything that the album's about i genuinely think if i listen to this album after this chat i'll love it even more Mm. because i've heard your guys opinions on it and i've heard your takes on stuff so i'll i will feed that into my own opinion i know joke aside <laughs> end bit it's, it's not a joke it's just fact isn't it yeah <laughs> but like yeah like after that i want to listen to that again now but that's what this podcast is about isn't it? absolutely steve that's what we're here to do and we're and then this next song is is the last track on the album which i don't think we're used to from a manic street preachers album we haven't had a 12 track album since everything must go mm, um lovely here we go cardiff afterlife and Scratching at the stain 
This is the third track um, produced by Tony Visconti. Um, I really like this as an ending to the album, although it does feel different to the rest of the album. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like more organic. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. Like, like, Speak on that. Well, the main instrument is an acoustic guitar, I think, and, and, and a harmonica, rather than the synth process guitar kind of sounds. Yeah, the harmonica really stood out. Mm. It's, yeah, it's um, got that real like Morricone kind of feel to it. Adam, halfway through us listening to that, you went strings. Mm. Um, that's the first time I've noticed the strings. Oh my god! Well, I, do you know what? I'm not sure if they are strings. I didn't even sense them <laughs> in my in my little string hole. Chris, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, what else is in there? Ooh. But there's definitely uh, a bit of a freer and more sort of expansive sound than the rest of the album which would make sense if we're talking about we were just talking about how fragments was about them coming to peace uh you know with with like memories and ghosts and things and now this is like they're letting go so elephant in the room uh, this song's about richie yeah this is actually interesting it's not i don't think it's the first song they wrote about richie but it's it's not but it's the first song they wrote that they acknowledged was definitely about richie it okay, was like in the press, like we have dealt with it, Richie's disappearance un- in this song. It's undeniably about him. Mm. Um, and it's very honest in the way that only a friend could be about a friend. Not just like, oh, yeah. there's this. He he was seen as this like godly figure. So a lot of people wouldn't have a bad word to say about him. But then I'm just going to read a couple of lyrics. So um, for I witnessed splendor and evil that no one saw. And I felt kindness and vanity for sure. Mm. Now, it's negative as well as being positive, and I think as a as a close friend of him, you're gonna have two sides to a story. Yeah, of right? course. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I felt I felt this song was so touchingly honest um, that it really stood out for me, and and it, and it really hit home. It was it was it, it's a good song. It's good. It's a good song. Yeah, and and I think a really good uh, final track on this album as well. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Lucas, what what are your thoughts on on this track? It's fine. <laughs> good. Great. This is one of the lowest points for me. It's really? just oh, it's just okay. I don't think I like you like hard- albums. I like. The- <laughs> I think you like things that are six tracks long. <laughs> and then after. <laughs> No, I like good albums, which this is, which this is. Okay, okay. Yeah, albums have peaks and troughs, and this is just one of them. And it's unfortunate that the album ends on a trough, but oh. it's just yeah, it's fine. To it's, me, it's this absolutely. is to me, this is fine. jumping out a trough. Mm, yeah. Jump, what does this I mean? mean? What jumping out a trough? Yeah. Mm. I was in the last song was a trough, and this is a peak. The last three songs dipped for me, and this is like 
and jumping up high. Yeah, it's it's fine. cool. It's good. It's fine. I like that there's a harmonica. It's got a mad like car crash ending to the song. And I really love that. It's like some weird stuff going on at the end of the song. Well, that, it, and also the ending's really abrupt. When it goes... I love that. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, but but it Im- yeah. employs the same trick as Fragments, where the chorus, when he's saying in the Cardiff Afterlife, is full of tension. And it's all like odd and jumbled. And then it goes... Din, 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 and it's back to this like freer, sort of expansive sort of sound. So it's almost like the opposite of what a chorus should do. Where, where mm. on like... Um, on like song for a departure where the chorus is the anthemic dramatic bit um Cardiff afterlife kind of does the opposite thing where the chorus is 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 full of that um the that creates the push and pull in the song um god i sound like a real wanker general thought have you just noticed that? <laughs> how many episodes have we done um Go on. general thoughts general on the album I really like, like it. I think it's really fucking good. It's yeah. one of their best. Yeah, I really love it. This their... this album would have been. Mm, I, mm, I was about to give away a score then, so let let's. No, that's fine. Let's let's let's. You can just say a score. Yeah, yeah they're like okay. we're, about to, we're about to do them. Okay, this song's eight out of ten for me. This song is eight out of ten for you. But what about this song's eight, and it, and what it, about the album? And it would have been. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> This album is an 8 out of 10. So this is on a par with the Holy Bible for you. Yeah, this is the thing. Like, I don't want to say these songs are similar. They, oh, I can't no, do it again. Look, look, man, you can, you can, you can, like, you know, if they're both 8 out of 10s, but for completely different reasons, that's perfectly, they are. that's perfectly fine. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what? It's really not like me to justify scores and go into scores because that's <laughs> Lucas's bit. But this album, it, so it, it would have been in round a nine had it, not been for those three songs that were still right, good yeah. but not as good. Yeah. Which is mad. And um yeah, like I don't know. So it, it again it grabbed me instantly. I never had to unlock it. Jen we talked about in This Is My Truth how I really had to really try for the second half. Yeah. Um I'm trying to think of the the albums that were so sevens were This Is My Truth and Everything Must Go, I think for me. And Everything Must Go was just bangers, sure. Um, I don't know. I just love how spacious it was, um, keyboard heavy or whatever it was, guitars or whatever. There's a lot of emotion um, in this record as well. I think that which, really, which is really something is that, as much as I love, Know Your Enemy is missing from Know Your Enemy. And bits aside, I obviously heavily respond to emotion. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I can see why it's divisive amongst Manix fans. But like as a music fan of what I like. This song, this, I'm doing it again. This album is is wonderful. It really is. I, cool. I love Lifeblood. I'm quite happy to say it. F- favorite and least favorite tracks. Favorite songs. Ooh, is it Glasnost? Okay, yeah. I can't say it. Yeah. Is that how we say Glasnost, it? Glasnost. Um, Wait, did you like that one? <laughs> I like that one. Are we doing two or three? I'll do two. Adam gets angry when you do three. I hate three. I know, but yeah. okay. I'm between two. I'm going to say to repel ghosts actually. Mm, okay, yeah. But then. Pick any that aren't um, those three songs. I wasn't like always, never solitude fragments. Or maybe em- Emily. Pick any of them, and they would have been the other one. Fair enough, Lucas. Um, what do you, What do you think of this album? Are we doing least or not? Oh yeah, sorry, uh, Lucas. What do you think of this album? <laughs> <laughs> no, go on. Solitude and fragments. Okay, solitude and fragments. Okay, good. Lucas, go on. 
I enjoyed that. Um, Actually, no. Do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go next because your scores are just a fucking can of worms. Um, yeah. Uh, I've actually got just I've got a number. I've just got a Steve, number. Steve, I'm with you, man. Uh, this is an eight out of ten for me. It's right up near the top yeah. of my Manix albums. Um, I fucking love it. Uh, I don't think it has ever really got the respect that it deserves to coin a phrase from another mm. Manix song. And I, yeah. I think it's like it's such a little like lost gem. And I would have said this regardless of whether we had um, a friend of the podcast, Greg, on last week. I think <laughs> I think the production is fucking great. I think James Dean Bradfield's voice has never sounded better. I think Nicky's lyrics, he's really found an, a lovely sort of um, a groove in there. Oh, I should have pointed out, I missed out fragments. Um, some of the lyrics on that were written by Patrick Jones, the poet and Nicky's brother. Um, wow, okay. And nice. I think I just think it's one of their most cohesive albums. And yeah. tells a story from start to finish, and and I just really love it. And uh, yeah, it gives me all of all of the feels. I think my favourite tracks are probably "I Live to Fall Asleep," and uh, I just don't think you can deny "1985." I think that is such nice. a banger. My least favourite tracks are probably "Emily" and "Always Never," but I do like them. Like, there's nothing that I skip on this album. Mm. Um, I, I think I think they're good songs. They they just don't hit me in the way that other songs on the record do. Um, there you go. That was nice and succinct. Now, Lucas, what the fuck's going on with your scores, mate? Right, easy peasy. <laughs> easy peasy. What is my current score for this? Is my truth? six out of ten, which is ludicrous. Then the same. Okay. <laughs> Okay, cool. So six out. No, of 10. that's fine. Whatever my current number is for everything, for everything must go. It's it's still better. So I'll give it the same as this is my truth, which it apparently is a six. Okay, cool. fine, great. Um, I, what I would point out at this juncture is that Lucas, you do typically rate low, and so a six out of ten, if transposed onto sort of like mine and Steve's scale, is actually a seven out of ten. Yeah, I thought about this in the shower yesterday. All right, of course you did. Right here we go. I've got some examples. Oh, it's, it's gonna I get got, sexy. I got you an example. Okay, example. Right. I've always said I would struggle to give anything above a certain blah 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 because then there's albums that I love yeah. that are that I wouldn't give that score. Blah 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 blah. Right. My second favorite band, Arcade Fire. Yes. Mm-hmm. Some of the albums are ten out of ten. For me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Sure. Moving on. Their fourth album, Reflector. Yeah. Produced by James it's Murphy. It's good. Yeah. It's fine. My granddad. Yes. Pro- yeah. Probably, probably, I'd give it a, a seven or an eight. Okay. But I still think it's better than any Manic Street Preachers album because I prefer Arcade Fire. Okay. Right. That's fine. So, so I couldn't then give a Manic Street Preachers album an eight. No, but what I'm what I'm higher mean. than a, an album that I objectively prefer. What I mean is 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 like. If we, if we transpose that to my scale and I liked Arcade Fire and that record as much as you do, then a seven or an eight, I'd probably give Reflector an eight or a nine if I was in your head. Like that just seems, that, seems mental. That's one score off of off of ten out of ten. That's mad. An <laughs> and I don't like Reflector that much. But if I did, okay. So like my so like my second favorite band are Radiohead. Okay, and um, so. Aren't they your favourite band? No, R.E.M. are my favourite band. R.E.M. Please, come on. Keep up with the lore, please. (laughs) 
um <laughs> so like there, there are albums that like are probably on a par in their career if you take like kid a and okay computer as 10 out of 10s then there are mirrors to uh reflector or you know reflectors if you like um something like amnesiac which i probably feel a similar way about as you do reflector to arcade fire that i would still give an eight or a nine because i just rate higher than you so if we were all on the same scale eight or a nine for something that you think is like fine no no i think amnesiac is, is brilliant well, then that's not a comparable comparison because I don't think I don't think Reflector is brilliant. But you do. My my point is that you do rate low, like typically. I just I rate albums versus all other. I have I very much consider yes other albums. Whereas you just go, oh, I give this album an eight out of ten, and I go, yeah, but would I give it the same? I'm the same with movies. Go on my Letterboxd account, letterbox.com forward slash probably Lucas Way. I don't remember. It's all it's all two and a halfs. It's all two point five stars. Exactly. Because I'm like, right. like I, what's that? I zone out. And I think so and I think me, this bit. Me and... and we've got another four songs. All right. Steve, <laughs> calm down, mate. Um <laughs> the uh... I zone out when you start crying. So <laughs> you love it. Yours are you, you know, you, you you're you're very analytical and logical about these things. I think me and Steve have more of an emotional reaction to, to, yeah, to the nah, songs. Nah, nah. Um I, if a, if a five or a two point five is a is you, average, you go up and down from there. You, you say that, Adam. I've got a note here that says keyboard bit bum bum bum. Deep. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. My 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 kind of point is because it, it is that six out of ten to a lot of people would sound quite low when coupled yeah, I also think... when coupled with how you've been talking about this album. I also just think scoring in this world is 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 wrong. Okay, well we'll, we'll get to <laughs> people, your people go. Oh, this people go. Oh, this video game is shit and unplayable. Six out of ten. Well, we'll get to and your. What is the point in five and below? You right. stupid. We'll fucking... get to your you manifesto well, Lucas, another time. It's the it's the best thing you've ever heard. Six out of ten. Six out of ten. Yeah. Uh... But that is an Adam and Steve seven. Is what I'm saying. But also, bear in mind, yeah, six out of ten, fine. But there is songs. Like bloody, bloody, bloody! I live to fall asleep. That song is like an un- is. I would give that a legitimate eight. That's still it's a wonderful like... song. <laughs> no, that's saying I think it's an eight, eight out of ten. Is massive. massive. And that's what I'm saying is that like in today's society, like eight out of ten is not that massive. Well, that's because scoring is fucked and ruined. You can get a seventy and you've got a first on a degree. Then what's the point in seventy-one to one hundred? What a waste of time. You pass on a 40. What a waste of time. <laughs> anyway. So 6 out of 10. Best, best, best ones, I Live to Fall Asleep and Love of Richard Nixon. Oh, amazing that you've got Love, Love of Richard Nixon right up there. What about your and least favourite? Yeah. Least favourites. <laughs> Cardiff what? Afterlife. Tiny little helicopter there. Maybe Emily. Okay, fair enough. I I just want to like get across that six out of ten for you is still a good score because some people would see that as not very good. Like that is just above average to a lot of people. And also, it's going to change. Yeah, of course it is. I don't. Don't worry. These scores are all going to change because we'll relitigate them again and again and again and again. 
and maybe in December of this year, uh, I'll have a, I'll have a final set of yeah. our Christmas party when you're smashed and you until give everything that, a ten. <laughs> until that point, until that point, these are my scores. Yeah. Holy Barber gets a one. These are my scores. Tell me yours. Uh, and I, yeah. and I don't think six out of at six out of ten is fair for what you think of Lifeblood and This Is My Truth. But we will get onto it another time. The album was met with generally favourable reviews from critics, by which I mean like six out of tens, sort of stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah, six out of ten are generally favourable. And then yeah, there was yeah, the aforementioned yeah, yeah, yeah. divide amongst uh, fans, almost a backlash, to be honest. Um, I'm going to read some reviews. All Music awarded the album with an average rating of three out of five and stated that Lifeblood is a pleasant listen, but once you peel away the keyboard, sensitively strummed guitars and tasteful harmonies and concentrate on Bradfield's nakedly open voice and wires terminal- terminally collegiate lyrics, it's hard to escape the unintentional pathos that winds up defining the album and conceivably the band's latter-day career. The NME wrote uh where know your enemy strived vainly for relevance lifeblood is seemingly content to exist as a highbrow rock record out go song titles that were half-baked political manifestos in themselves in come elegiac pop anthems and the welcome presence of bowie producer tony, Vis- tony visconti to add a glacial sheen to the whole affair indeed this is arguably the manic's uh, best album since everything must go uh, and oh, wow. q magazine called it miserable and insipid uh, the <laughs> the album has to date sold around ninety thousand copies and is their lowest selling album ever. Just didn't connect with the public at all. But they did still embark on a UK arena tour uh, in December two thousand and four. They were supported by Razorlight. Uh, everything is white and looks cool. Like the drum kit was white. All of the amps yes. were white. He was playing yes. a white. Um, Flying V on stage. Did someone come in mid cool. mid song and chuck red on them? <laughs> in two thousand and two, cool. and like around the greatest hits, as Greg was talking about, that he had expanded the touring band to include Greg Haver on like some rhythm guitar and some percussion and stuff. But here it's Guy Massey on rhythm guitar. Um, some other stuff sort of happens around that release on the sixth of December two thousand and four. They released the tenth anniversary edition of the Holy Bible, which is well worth picking up if you don't have it already. Um, on the tenth of January two thousand and five. Empty Souls was released as a single, which again reached number two. Um, you know, charted pretty high. Both of the singles from this album reached number two. On the 22nd of January, they um, played the Tsunami Relief concert at Millennium Stadium uh, and didn't play Tsunami uh, or or Ready for Drowning. Didn't play either of those. Uh, why? Uh, they just didn't. Um, okay, it's fine. February 2005, there was a Japanese tour. There's no European tour for this. And in April 2005, they undertake the past, present, future tour, um, which is like, a, which is a tour of smaller venues. It was like guild halls and academies. They play weirder stuff uh, and announced that they were going to take a break afterwards. That's when we saw them. And that is when we saw them. Yeah. Uh, a Design for Life was played second in the set and they brought out loads of stuff from the Holy Bible that they hadn't played since 1994. Um, we've talked about how it was my first ever gig and they opened with of walking abortion and uh i didn't appreciate it and steve you were there um but but they had announced didn't appreciate me yeah yeah <laughs> but they had announced yeah. like at the end of that tour they were going to go on a break for a couple of years which they had never done before they had you know there was three and a half years between um know your enemy and lifeblood but they hadn't said hey we're going on a break they had released best ofs and wow. a b-sides compilation and they were working on the album but this time they di- they said we are going to have a break from the band and we will not be active. Um, which, as Greg said last week, is probably a reaction to the way the album was received. 
But also, they just said, we're having a break. They didn't do the thing of saying, we're indefinitely done. We're Coldplay. Coldplay. You've got Coldplay do every three, every album. <laughs> they just they just said, we're taking a break. We'll be back. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, sort of exactly. Because mm, right. it annoys me when bands go, we're too going to be away. Mate, we, it's indefinite. We don't know if it's going to be forever. <laughs> How many uh, times have Take That come back? Right, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Coldplay. What they did do is kind of as a parting gift, uh, they released an EP that was actually given away for free on the last night of the tour at Hammersmith Apollo. But there was some okay. kind of miscommunication because they didn't actually, like the people who worked at Hammersmith Apollo weren't handing them out as people left. They were just sat in boxes. So actually people just <laughs> were like grabbing handfuls of them. And some people didn't even know it was kind of released. Um and it had three tracks on it. They were probably meant as B-sides for a third Lifeblood single that never materialised, probably due to a lack of like a point in promoting it any further. I think the public had kind of made up their mind on Lifeblood. So let's really quickly go over the tracks that are on the EP, which is called God Save the Mannix. Um, I think that they are quite interesting and you guys will probably tell me that i'm wrong but here uh is opinions can't be wrong <laughs> actually they can be actually i take that yeah back. careful with unilaterally that. <laughs> opinions can be very wrong Um, a bit of a different direction to Lifeblood maybe another one of those course corrects I was going to say it definitely sounds different to what we've just listened to yeah um, I can't think of what the riff reminds me of but it reminds me of something and I love a solo by the Mannix or oh it, yeah it, no I don't know does, no, does, does, it, no something else does it remind you so, of something it reminds else? me of something else okay anyway um, that is not a take. It reminds me of something that I can't remember. I mean, um, it's... And I love a solo, but it's a it's a kind of Rocky Manic song. Well, I no, I don't it. think it sounds anything like oh, Rocky. I'm wrong. Okay, I don't think it sounds fine. anything like Rocky. Um, Sorry, there's no, on. like, trumpets or sort of training um, montages. So hmm. I think, you know, it doesn't sound... Oh, they weren't wearing, like, grey hoodies and sweat... No. You know, so, no okay. one threw any members of the Manic Street Preachers an hmm. orange during this track okay, yeah. no one no one was punched until their faces can you actually prove okay. that yeah uh, i think i can and I'll, I'll go into that in the next episode um it's fine i wrote shrug it sounds like a b-side or a song from a limited release ep well it's funny you should say that lucas because it's a song from a limited release ep that was probably meant to be a b-side so yeah I think you've nailed yeah. it 
Uh, it kind of retains some of that atmospheric guitar work in the background, and we're back to sort of like fitting in lots of words. Like that chorus is very wordy. Um, it's fine. I used to love this EP a lot, but I think that's because of its limited status. Like yeah. there were only three thousand copies made, and loads of and like not three thousand people got them at the Hammersmith Apollo. Like they ballsed up that release so much that they ended up offering it for yeah. a free download on their website. And if you sent in a self-addressed envelope, you could get an actual copy of the EP sent to you. Um, Julian uh, used to run a rare record website um that uh it's your friend julie sorry yeah we mentioned him earlier in the episode um, yeah you should, yeah uh so yeah so i managed to buy one off him he was very gracious and only uh co- it only cost me 150 pounds so that is very good oh my um God. no it was a fiver it was a fiver oh, fine, <laughs> um, <laughs> the second track on the ep is uh firefight with like the lifeblood sort of sound yeah i was gonna say it doesn't it's not what i expected after hearing the first track when we listened to these three in a row yeah chorus um, is nice it is it's a very pleasant lovely chorus the piano uh, is good but it is very much i know we joked about it earlier but very much a standard verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus chorus this is uh the, the lyrics were written by james dean bradfield um nice. so it's like uh, th- this is his second manic song Oh wow! Okay, the first being um... Ocean Spray. Yeah, and even then he only did the chorus, right? No. Oh well, fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the very start of it, it sounds like another song. It's been annoying me. I can't remember what the song is. It's the one that goes. It's like some shit indie song. That's the Kooks. Like a... Is it the Kooks? Yeah. Oh. Sounds, sounds like Which that. Which would have been so, post this song, actually. Well, then uh, Manic's obviously in their time travel adventures. Ripped it off. <laughs> it went. Do you know what it does sound like? Is another Manic song that, we're, that we'll get to eventually, which is called Welcome to the Dead Zone. Um, sounds very much like okay. that. Um, it is absolutely fine. Yeah. 
those yeah. first two tracks, they are absolutely fine. And not as interesting as the next track. Yes. Now, the next track has some context around it, which I'm not going to talk about. Because at the time of its release, we didn't know that bit of context. Okay, fine. Um, and it only becomes apparent later on. But this is picturesque. I really like that. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> out, of, out of those three, it's definitely the most interesting. It's got like a sort of droning. Yeah, sound. and that it's, it's almost similar to 1985 in that, like the chorus is first of all, it's got that synth line. It goes. Yeah. Can I interest you in? Can I interest you Sounds like sounds like someone just playing chopsticks. At three and a half minutes is a mad solo. Yeah, into it. Yeah, it's it's and also and and if you really is um if you really listen to it is bum bum bum. So picturesque. I really like it's it. By the manic street breaches. Uh, I, I I think it's really cool. Um, I uh, that's always been my favourite from from that EP. Um, mm. And and there is a very interesting piece of context around it, which I won't mention until we get to the point at which, as fans, we found out. Um, interesting. Which I think Steve probably already knows, and Lucas probably looked up. But in the interest of... I have absolutely no idea. What okay, great. No idea either. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, so after that, they make good on their promise to just sort of be quiet. Um. Apart from that EP, which almost nobody heard, there is no music from the Manic Street Preachers until September 2005. Because Do you remember when they released Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head? And it was part of that Help charity yep, album. Yep, so yep, for the 10th yep. anniversary of that, Help invited Manic Street Preachers back to again try and record a song in 24 hours and contribute to the... Uh, um, yeah. Charity album. Uh, Radiohead were invited back, and um, uh, anyway, th- this is what they contributed. This is uh, Leviathan. We may also speak politics to you today. Yeah. 
the lyrics are very manix. Yes, yes. I mean, it's very manix in that it's talking about democracy and stuff like that. It's very manix. It's not very good, but it's very manix. It's also a return to that sort of manix sound that Lifeblood wasn't as well, isn't it? Yeah, I've got that. It doesn't. It does not sound like the Lifeblood era. Yeah, and I obviously know what's coming next, and it's sounding a lot closer to that. Oh God, does that mean I'm going to not like Send Away the Tigers? It's back to them uh, rock say... basics in it. Yeah, I'm going to give it a four out of ten. <laughs> I, I I would say that that this um uh this has less in common with Send Away the Tigers than you would like immediately think yeah uh, like uh, it's going towards that in that sort yeah of i mean it's got like a crunchy it's got the crunchy guitars back yeah. and and then it's catchy um, and it's fun and it's like yeah. two and a half minutes yeah um a leviathan is like a gargantuan underwater creature right and steve's idea of hell <laughs> yeah it sounds awful uh very hard word to like just sort of squeeze into a song right <laughs> yeah. but this leviathan but in 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 like talking very specifically this is based on the 1651 book leviathan by cool. thomas hobbs which advocates for an cool. absolute monarchy um cool. it's about it's a, it's a political psychology book um cool. so this is talking about uh cool it's talking about um sort of like how life would be brutal and short without cool. an absolutist cool leader um which is where that line "brutalness, this life cool. is short" comes from, and there's loads of cool references uh, that come like uh, like reprobates MPLA, which is the People's Movement for Liberation of Angola, cool, which advocated for independence in the Angolan Civil War from 1975 to 2002. There's references to Patty Hearst, cool, who was uh, kidnapped and brainwashed by the Symbionese Liberation Army, which were essentially a U.S. cool domestic terrorist group. Um, <laughs> Baden-Meinhof, which was a left-wing militant group in the 1970s West Germany, cool. And Medusa Touch, also. which was the 1978 film starring Richard Burton, uh, Richard Burton, which was sampled in uh, Ready for Drowning, cool. That is cool. That is cool. Um, it's got a fade-out at the end, and that's a bit lame. I hate fade-outs. They really the wind me up. Lazy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, end the song. <laughs> Sorry, Lucas, go on. Cool. Uh, I wasn't even going to talk about the song because the song's not very interesting. You mentioned Bader Meinhof, and have you ever heard of the Bader Meinhof phenomenon? Because I think it's really, really interesting. Uh, I, it rings a bell, but but do do carry on. Well, don't worry because you'll hear about it again in the next couple of weeks because that's what it is. It's like it's a thing where you basically, when you hear about something for the first time, when you first learn of a thing, you'll feel oh, like you see it. Then it, it crops up everywhere, every single where. Also known as recency mm. bias or things like that, but. I don't know why it's called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, but that's a thing. That's very cool. interesting. Yeah, um, more interesting than this song, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> I realise I haven't got enough of my like Lucas's savage about the Manix hot takes out this episode, so I figure I'll just like just squeeze it them in at the end. So all yeah. be like, oh, these four songs aren't very good, are they? Oh, yeah. oh. Picturesque is nice. Cool. It's fine. Um, I, I don't don't bank on "Send Away the Tigers" sounding like this because this is much more disposable than a lot of "Send Away the Tigers." Um, "Send Away the Tigers" uh, sort of marks their. It does mark their return to sort of like the "Everything Must Go" sort of era of Manix, but also I think it does in places offer new things. Um, it's 
a Renaissance type album. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to exactly. Say much. Um, so after that, they they do just have a break from the Manics. It, not a break from making music at all, because our next episode in a couple of weeks' time will be looking at James Dean Bradfield's solo album and Nicky Wire's solo album. Uh, evidently, they couldn't stay away from the recording studio for uh, any sort of great amount of time. Um, what are you... Uh, I was going to ask what you're expecting of James Dean Bradfield and Nicky Wire's solo album, but of course you've both already heard them. I've heard yeah. them. <laughs> so that was sort I of wasn't su- I wasn't surprised by either. Oh, that's very interesting. That, that's what I was saying. Yeah. yeah. Let's do this in the episode about yes. this. Um, yes. So that does bring us to the end of kind of this era. They they take like quite a long time off after putting Leviathan on the charity album. Um, I am... The Chrysler building. We are not quite ready to end the episode because as I said at the beginning, we do have a special guest who's going to join us on Zoom, which... Um, I appreciate you guys might be nervous about it is quite a high I'm not it is quite a high profile thing. Oh no, it's not him. Is which it? is why I didn't want to like burden you guys with it, but we do okay. we do have Sean Moore joining us just for 10 minutes just to talk about this album and where their head was at um when they were recording it. So bear with me while I just quickly um get sent him I need to send him a link. Hang on. Mhm. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Uh, I've just got an email from him. Mm-hmm. It's a weird subject line. Oh, go on. Um, well, the body of the email says, Hi, guys. Was really looking forward to joining the episode today. Uh, unfortunately, my internet has been disconnected as I haven't been able to pay the bill because I've not been earning much money in these troubling COVID-19 times. Really Sorry. Uh, I'll, I hope to join you next time. Oh, that makes okay. Well, the subject line was Sean Poor, so that that <laughs> makes more sense. Okay, well that's disappointing, but um, oh. it was it was a good episode, uh, and I had fun talking to you guys about Lifeblood. So uh, I'm really glad that you guys uh, quit. Liked, I quit. The liked the album. I quit. No, I quit. Um, and look forward to our next episode when Sean I'm Moore not going to be on the podcast. When anymore. Sean Moore will hopefully be joining it's us. Been a to pleasure talk about his experiences being in Manitoba Preachers. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode, I will keep listening. You can, but I won't be on uh, any more episodes. Get hold of us on Twitter at Manix Podcast. You can get hold of us on instagram at manix podcast and you can email us if you email us and it's not like sort of some kind of weird racist rant then we'll probably read it out on the podcast and you can email us manix podcast at gmail.com thank you so much for listening short episode this week apologies about that um there's only one thing left to really say which is that we live in urban hell and we destroy rock and roll Goodbye. Goodbye forever. In all the decisions I have made in my public life, I have always tried to do what was best for the nation. I have never been a quitter.